He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you, and we are live from Jimmy Austin, and we have a great interview, special guest, head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners coming up later, Ryan Hibble. I'm really excited for that interview, guys. He's one of the best dudes in the world, and you're going to get to hear a lot of great inside information from the head man of the Oklahoma Sooners later on, but Woody, before we get started here and talk about Riviera last week... Let's just talk about Jimmy Austin. What are some of the great things that are going on here at Jimmy Austin, Woody? Well, probably one of the biggest things I've got is a corn fairy event coming, which uh, for those people that have been watching uh, Netflix and uh, that, that interesting series there, how big the corn fairy is. Corn fairies, the corn fairy is going to be the stepping stone for anybody to ever get to that level of the PGA Tour. To have that event here at Jimmy Austin uh, – it doesn't shock me, guys, because this golf course is phenomenal. Uh, we talked about it last time we were down here, how much this golf course has matured and grown and what the changes they've done and everything else. So uh, really excited. I think we'll probably be doing a show down here, I hope, uh, during that time. And uh, good good luck to all the guys that are part of that Corn Ferry because they, I think they're going to find Oklahoma and Norman. Oklahoma is a pretty special place. No doubt about it. If you are a golf fan in Oklahoma, you need to get down here and play Jimmy Austin. Guys, I feel like this is a, this is a tradition every single week now, but we do have a new number one player in the official world golf yeah. ranking. That's John Rahm. John Rahm goes out to Riviera and shoots 17 under, battled Homa down the stretch and gets the job done. Do you think that John Rahm is truly the number one player in the world? Because I do on all tours. I think that his consistency, especially over the start of this year, proves that to me. I know there's a lot of things wrong with the official world golf rankings, but he is the number one player in the world. Yeah, I don't think it's really even that close right now. I think the other two you could put in there are Rory and Scheffler. And, yes, Scheffler did win last week, but we saw what happened this week. And then Rory, the last two weeks, hasn't been up there. And at the analytics, Rom is definitely the best player in the world. So, I think that continues. I will say about this tournament, guys, it did get a little bit interesting there after the 10th hole. Yes, when, it when did. Homa made that birdie and Rom made that bogey, I mean, that was pretty and, – and let's shout out Max Homa, by the way. Made a birdie all four rounds – on the 10th hole at Riviera. That's, That's unbelievable. tough to do. That, unbelievable. Tough to do. And you would think a 310-yard hole, oh, you should birdie it every time. No, 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 no. It's one of the hardest holes really in the game of golf, in my opinion, to be able to consistently score well there. So, I, I don't know. But and it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I had in my notes here watching that final round that that Homa putt on nine, that was a massive putt to change some momentum, right, T-Dub? When Homa makes the big par putt, um, uh, big birdie putt right on nine and then and then rom misses his and then headed into 10 and then another swing on 10 and all of a sudden we got a big time big time golf tournament and we saw that left miss from john rom on number 10 i i I think that's a great point you make of when the momentum really shifted even though john rom got it back at the end 
And, and then Rom was able to make that really long putt on 14 to par three and then hit it in there tight on 16, which, which is what Homa did at, at Torrey Pines, ironically, was he lit up the par threes, and that's what Rom did to him to kind of counteract that. So I don't know, Woody. At the end of the day, we went into the tournament. We talked about it on the Sunday radio show. I would have been shocked if Rom didn't win the tournament. That's kind of how it came out. But it did get pretty close there for a little bit. Rom is just – he's out of control right now. And, and I, I bet if you could if you could get him off to the side, I bet he wishes it was just another couple months later he was on this roll. Because Saying when worrying about peaking too early. Yeah, when you're playing like this, to think you can just keep it rolling, he's probably saying just get me to Augusta because if I can keep this same mindset. But – what? Why? Why do we love Riviera? Because of what we just saw. If I was building a golf course tomorrow, I would build the tenth hole. Let's look at the top four guys in the golf tournament. Riviera brings out the best ball strikers: Always John does. Rahm, Max Homa, Patrick Cantlay, Will Zalatoris. Always does. And in and, and, and that tenth absolutely, hole, yeah, that tenth hole though. You look at it. I've played it, guys, countless times. I never went for the green. Because back in my day, I couldn't hit it that far, okay? But that 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 second shot from over there to the left, it scared me to death. And it wasn't 70, 80, 90, 100 yards. But trying to land it literally on the size of this table we're sitting at, that's what it felt like. So um, it's just such a phenomenal golf course. It's so much fun to watch. So I, I that was this is a week that I actually sit around and watch golf because I love the golf course. T-Dub, do you agree that Homa – Really, to me, even though he salvaged a bogey out of it, I feel like he really lost the golf tournament when he hit it right into the eucalyptus on 13 and then ended up, you know, kind of – he tried to go through the gap, went left of the gap that he was trying to go through, made bogey. But if you can just make a par, you know, not even talking about making a birdie there, you just have to – on a guy like John Rom, you can't let the door crack open just a little bit when you're chasing a guy like John Rom who's not going to make many mistakes coming down the stretch. Yeah, I completely agree because at that point, Rom had just uh, bogeyed 12 as well. He just missed a fairly short putt for par there. That's right. So, Homa get, had edged even closer. And you can tell that uh, Homa's caddy over there, whenever they were trying to plan that shot, he kept asking, asking him like five times, like, are yeah. you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? And you then can- Homa ended up saying this ball will not go up. The caddy was worried about the ball, you know, jumping up too high. And the caddy even said this lie is unknown. This lie is unknown. And yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think the caddy liked it very much. And the ball had to – the ball has to go halfway high, right, because it's, he's 220 yards out. But he got lucky, actually, because he went to the left of it. Yeah, lucky he didn't hit yeah, that big, exactly. you know, bark it, of the tree. And then it could have went way left. Tree. So, I think, Woody, I think this is another example of sometimes people think that you just hit a bad shot. You kind of choke down the stretch. I think it was a bad decision from Homa to do that. I think he should have just went out to the right in the middle of the he fairway. He still and made to make bogey, though, but I agree with you because it could have been, been way worse. It been bogey way was worse. about the best that was going to happen when he made well, that Well, he decision. had a, mar- a pretty good shot from down there on the sand. Yes, down there when he was a yard away from the, the hay. It, I guess it, it, golf is just so cruel. Given the wrong time at the wrong place, if the karma isn't there, right now he's riding a pretty good high too. Karma isn't there. No. He'll hit that tree and it'll sound like a telephone pole, like a woodpecker, and who knows where it'll go, and it might be double, triple, who knows. But bogey still had a chance. That's right. Still and, had a chance. And we dive into all these analytics, guys, and it doesn't really – tell you about momentum because what happens on the very next hole 
Rom drains that 35-footer for birdie at 14 to get to 16 under. Homa barely misses that chip. And then all of a sudden, you know, Rom has control of this golf tournament that he was losing a grasp of, you know, two holes earlier. Exactly. Just like that, it switches. But what we said and what T-Dub was saying, two twos. Two twos. No doubt about but it. Those twos, those twos, I don't know what it is about a two. It just changes golf tournaments at so sixteen and at quickly. fifteen. Even before that, two T Dub he made a big time six foot. Rom made a big time six footer for par on fifteen yes. as well. That was impressive to me because those are kind of the putts that Rom was missing at the start of last year. Why we kept seeing him finish five to ten on the leaderboard and not you know dominating tournaments like he has at the start of this year. That's why to me he's probably the favorite at Augusta right now. Yeah, he gained one point four four on the greens, which yep. is something that. We talked about all the time, and he actually he, he didn't gain a whole lot of shots around the greens, but he gained a little bit. So that goes to show that once again, the thing that's most shocking to me looking at this, he barely gained any shots off of the tee. I mean, he really, Woody, he really does have something going wrong with that driver. What do you see? I mean, I know Sam brought up some really good stuff last yeah. time we were on the show about his, how his alignment, especially with his feet. I mean, are you seeing something similar? To me, it looks like. If you like, missed the last show, I said his driver, the lower body with the driver looks like it's aimed left, and with the irons, it looks like it's aimed right. Yeah. You saw it on 17 on that second shot. On yeah. 17, he hit, yeah. he aimed right into, into that greenside yeah. bunker and hit it right into there with the irons. But with the driver, he striped the driver. Driver coming down the stretch, ironically. Well, and and he he's so good. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, gentlemen, that John Rom isn't trying to draw a ball now and then, and that's where we see that setup. He right now with the I, irons you're talking about. Well, yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, but right now, I, I truly believe he thinks he can walk on water. I, there is nothing that John Rom doesn't think he's capable of. So to watch his setup and and to see it, his. His transition when he pulls the ball is a little bit quicker, but he's fast. That that golf swing is yep. really fast. It's short. It's really going. So if the driver is maybe just a hair out of sync, he doesn't get the block of the golf ball the way he wants it, where it would kind of be a push fade is what I call it. John Rahm doesn't really hit the traditional cut shot where he's maybe a little across the golf ball. He almost shoves it. So if you look at his setup, and I think with his driver, I think there's times he gets too far left. I know that's hundred percent. I agree I with you. Does. I think, 100% I think what he, he is. gets yeah. too far left, and he can't block it enough. And so the path of the club is just a little more to the left, which creates for him a pull. And there's his left shot. And, and I, I see a little bit, too, whenever he does, he's aiming a little bit more left, the club tends to get a little bit more laid off, especially in the transition. Yeah, he's trying then, to shove it. Exactly. Yeah. Because, he, like you said, if he hits it halfway straight, he's going to hit it 20 yards left. Exactly. And then even if it fades a little bit, it's still in the left rough, Sam. But we're yeah. splitting hairs here, and the reason why he is winning golf tournaments is because of the short game. It's much, much oh. better than it was at the beginning of last year. Guys, am I crazy for thinking that Max Homa right now, on official world golf rankings, not including guys like Dustin Johnson or Cam Smith, but just talking about PGA Tour guys, I think that Max Homa right now is the fourth best player in on the PGA Tour. I mean, if you look at the stats, T-Dub, he, he had the second at Riv, he won at the Farmers, he won the Fortinet, finished third at the Century. The guy is not just your Twitter-famous golfer anymore. Yeah, I, I, think there's, I think there's definitely some validity to that. I will say 
His best finish in a major at this point is T13. And other Definitely got to prove it in the majors. And other than sure. that, his next best fin- his second best finish in a major, guys, is T40th. So, I mean, I'm not at a point to officially say that. You, you look at the the other guys. If if you line me up on every single golf course, and take into consideration, a lot of times when home has played well, has been in California. If you just line him up on any typical major venue, I'd still take Cantlay over him. I would probably take Shoffley over him, even though those guys haven't been able to get done. He's ranked a little bit lower in the analytics, but on a Sunday afternoon, I'd probably take JT over Homa at this point. Maybe Morikawa, too, as well. So, I don't know. If, if you're if you're maybe at L.A. Country Club and it's in California, I would definitely think Homa would be the favorite. But uh, to say he's the overall fourth, fourth best player in the world right now, Woody, I think maybe just a little bit too far out there, even though he has been playing spectacularly. Well, you got to go somewhere, right? You got you got to build up, and you guys hit the nail on the head. Though he hasn't done it in majors, okay? All those guys you were just talking about, I couldn't agree with you more. They've all won majors. My so question was more about ahead. recent form, though. Recent form, it's hard to look at him and not think he's a top five player in the world. And 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 I would say he is, Sam. Right now, uh, I look forward to the Tournament Players Championship that's coming up because that's going to be a big event. It's it's not, quote, quote, a major, but they call it the fifth major. It's yep. big. I want to see what Holman does in that. Then Augusta. Uh, you yep. know, then we start to really see where we go. T-Dub's right. We're going to L.A. <laughs> for yep. the Open, so he's back in California. I would tell him he needs to quit winning in California because his taxes are killing <laughs> Yeah, won four times in California yeah. already. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to have what he's paid to the state. I could, I could retire. And be, I could be a, a superstar in a great car. point. So, you know, he needs to win. Got another 2.5 for finishing second. Yeah, well, and they get – 15% of that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it, uh, Texas. Think about Texas and Florida. <laughs> think about those two states to win in. So, uh, but, no, I'm I'm a Max Homa fan. I told you guys that the last podcast. A couple like more it. guys that I want to get to quickly because we have a lot to get to, not just the interview with Ryan Hibble, but we have Liv this week, Mayakoba, and then, obviously, the Paul Azinger Classic, the Honda Classic. Uh, so we have a lot to get into. But a couple more guys that I am impressed with, and, it, and it's kind of a silver lining headed into this season that they are showing some good form. Really three guys. That's Cantlay, Will Zalatoris, who is coming off the back injury, and then Colin Morikawa, who obviously blew the lead to John Rahm in Hawaii. But I, like I said, guys, I'm looking for him to have a bounce-back week this week at Riviera. Last week when we did our show, turns out I, I was pretty right. That course just set up too good for him. But I see some glimpses of Morikawa getting back into that elite form. Cantlay, one of the best ball strikers, and it's good to see Willie Z being able to play some great golf, shooting 13-under for the golf tournament coming off the back injury, T-Dub. Yeah, that was really good. And like I mentioned on the radio show, the swing doesn't look any different from what it did at the middle of last year, which is a really good sign because it Unfortunately, could. the putting looks the same, too. It's <laughs> a good point. If he can putt like he did in the majors, he might have a chance. I say that, but all fairness to Willie Z, he gained over a half a shot on the greens last week at Riv. Not bad. And to, to your point, Sam, earlier about these players you mentioned showing some form, 
Riviera brings out the ball strikers, right? So who knows? Maybe this is as good a sign. Maybe it was just the course setting up right for him. But at the end of the day, these are all the, the names that you're going to see at all the major championships of the top leaderboard. And now that we have the elevated events. These are the guys you're going to see probably at the top of all of those lists as well. So I think we're at a point now, Woody, to where with the way that the PJ Tour is structured at this point, we just got to get used to the names we're seeing on the leaderboard because it's going to be, unless some lower name just starts to get really, really hot and start to find some form, it's going to be really hard for them to contend with these big names. You know, the one and done is going to be so much fun this year because uh, when you think about it, we, the elevated majors, we got a certain group of guys because they're not going to be playing hardly in the in the, the Honda Classic this week. Uh, so now you're going to have to try to pick who's the newcomer. Who's the guy we don't know that's ready to take that next step to join those guys in those elevated events? So I, I, I think you guys were – all in, all in. Now, I didn't pick Willie Z. I, I wasn't sure he was back yet. But after watching him play, yeah, you're right. That golf swing didn't look any different. He doesn't look like he's afraid to swing the golf club. So, he's going to be a factor, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I guess Morikawa, he just had kind of an off year last year. He He's too good a player. He's not going to stay down that list for very long. So, hey, going to be fun. The top of the golf tournament, guys, went pretty according to plan. You know what I was not expecting this week? Tiger Woods to look as good as he looked. Now, you may just look at a leaderboard and say, oh, you know, tied for 45th, one under for the golf tournament, not great. No. Tiger Woods has some stuff left in the bank, guys. Tiger was out there, and the most impressive thing to me, and Joey Lukava alluded to this, is that he has as much energy on the 18th tee as he does on number one of these rounds. And down the stretch, I mean, we saw it in the first round, birdieing the last three holes. And Tiger going out there and proving to us that he can hold up for 72 holes was the most impressive. And then it was just icing on the cake that if you look at the stats, he really, I mean, what? He, he was about zeros and putting around the greens and off the tee and gained over half a shot, strokes gained approach. So that means the distance control is there as well. I'm not saying that it's going to happen but I'm saying it's not out of the realm of possibility by any means after what I saw this week that Tiger Woods can win again on the PGA Tour. We've talked about it many times. What does Tiger have to do to compete and, and contend not only in major championships but PGA Tour events? He has to be able to play in events leading up to those tournaments and get competitive rounds under his belt. This week was a big week to prove to me that he can do that. I, I would be surprised if we didn't see him at the Players or at Bay Hill or maybe even both before the Masters. Well, I think we'll definitely see him at one of them. Both may be a stretch just because back-to-back -back weeks right now seems, seems pretty hard for him. I will say he did look healthy. That That's by far the most encouraging sign. One thing that was interesting to note, though, was that his ball speed numbers did fall a little bit on Sunday, so that is something to watch out for. But even though, like you mentioned, Sam, able to go at least one round from the first hole to 18 is a good sign, and to show that at least in the first couple of rounds, the ball speed numbers tend to be about the same. But seeing it dip a little bit on Sunday gives me a little bit of woes, Woody, just because you know there had to be a little bit of fatigue there, something setting in, and... Also, the most important thing, he had two pretty solid rounds, but he also had two pretty mediocre rounds, yep. which was something that we you, you expect that at Riviera with his history there. But at the same time, Woody, it seems like something that uh, you can't get away in major championships or even PGA Tour tournaments anymore because he's only going to play in elevated events. You can't get away against the big names in golf only playing good two out of four days. 
Well, and I think that was the rust. I think that, that playing 72 holes of golf when you haven't been playing any golf, and he really hadn't. And, and you guys said it last week, not playing golf with your buddies in a gambling game, playing tournament golf is so much different. So my question is now, because he is so aloof, and, and even though he's not as much as he used to be by any stretch of the imagination, we don't know how much that took out of him. I, I'll tell you how we can tell. Jury's still out. Yeah, I'll tell you how we can tell. I think it'll be Bay Hill. And I think Bay Hill simply because he loves it. That's why I said Riviera. And everybody would say, well, the Tournament Players Championship, it's the fifth major. I don't think he cares about that. He cares about four majors, not the fifth. And so I think he'll go to where he's comfortable. I think he will play one more time. And if he does, and if he shows even two rounds, guys, any time he can hit the ball the way he did for these four days, even though he had some glitches, he showed me something. What he did show me is he's putting. He's putting and chipping really pretty doggone good, guys, because he had some chances. He doesn't have the consistency yet. Not yet, but he's but doing a lot of things right. He is. So, he is definitely doing a lot of things right. And I want to bring you back to 2018, guys. He misses the cut at the Genesis after taking all of 2017 off. Right. Okay, and he lost strokes in every single category that week at the Genesis. Then he plays again. At the Arnold Palmer, he finishes fifth. And by the way, this is when the players was after Bay Hill, remember? And he finished tied for 11th there. I think that certain courses may fit old Tiger a little better than young Tiger, you know? And so maybe he has a better chance to, you know, win a golf tournament at TPC Sawgrass than Bay Hill nowadays. I don't know. We we would just have to, you know, try that out. But my point here is he had a slow start to 2018 and then goes on to win the tour championship that year. I'm not saying that Tiger's going to win the tour championship this year. He's not going to play enough for that. But my point is coming off of injury, Tiger has proven that he can get off to some slow starts and then work his way back in if he is physically able to play. And at the end of the day, that's the biggest question because like, I'm, like we just said earlier, it, him, him at Riviera, he doesn't have a good history there anyway. And he, 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 he almost – he pretty much broke dead even on strokes gain around the greens because he had some, some kind of – like the technique looked there, but it looked like he just misjudged a lot of chips yeah. to me. And some and, mental mistakes too, like putting it into the bunker. You know, like that, that's, that's from not playing. That's yeah. a mental mistake to me. And, and I remember on Friday on, on his morning round – after the first after the first 27 holes, he could have been within three or four of the lead because he had missed so many five- to six-footers there. And then he, t- he started to get a little bit more, at least on that back nine, as you mentioned earlier, he, he made some putts at the end of that Thursday round. But uh, I don't know. At the end of the day, if you're going to give a Tigers performance this week, I'd give it a, a solid B-plus in all honesty, no doubt. especially from what yeah. I was expecting. Not quite an A. There was a few areas that could have been a little more stronger. But at the end of the day, Woody, I think that if, if the health is there, because I, I completely agree with Sam, he can definitely still win a PGA Tour tournament but there are things that are going to have to go his way for it to happen and when we talk about physical it's not you know the physical problems for the golf swing or the golf game it's a matter of him being able to finish rounds and the fact that LaCava said that he has that energy at the end of these rounds that's good and the reason why I say the physical aspect is not affecting the golf swing if you look this is after round one this is his miles per hour uh, ball speed in round one 174, 180, 177, 178, 177, 177, 180, 178, 177, 177. He's he is. 
consistently in the high 170s with the ball speed, if he can have energy at the end of rounds, there's no reason to think that Tiger Woods isn't going to get the short game stuff figured out. And just for comparison, Woody, that uh, the average tour ball speed for anyone out there listening is 171 miles yeah. per hour. And so yeah. he, he's above tour standards. At 47 he, with a broken leg, basically. And, and even earlier when I was just, talking about the ball numbers dropping, the ball speed numbers dropping, he was still above the tour average, Woody. Well, and again, guys, he at least gives us some optimism. We're, we, that's right. That, that's as much as we could possibly beg for. Hope, hope's a powerful it, thing. Is is to see the worst thing we could have seen this week is him withdraw if he wasn't able to finish the golf tournament. So to, to nitpick his golf game, I, I'm I, I know better than to do that. He's so good, uh, but that he could physically get around. Like I said. We don't know. I'd love to see what's going on now, this week. What is he having to do to get that leg ready again? And if it's monumental, how many times will he want to do that? They they broke ground yesterday, gentlemen. He and Roy, they got their shovels out. So they broke ground on their their venture that's going to be in 2024. Yeah. So he's he's already setting up for his – yeah, and he knows it's coming, but I think that he's pushing hard right now because he is 47 years old. Let's say oh, he has definitely. five more years historically if we count Phil Mickelson as winning a major at yeah. 50. Look, I mean, he has five more years, let's say. Give him till he's 51 years old to right. win major championships. That's 20 more majors. That's yeah. not very many, you know, and yeah, so I, know. I feel like Tiger – I know it sounds crazy, but he is pushing. That ha- that has to be the goal in his heart of hearts, wouldn't you think? Oh, I, you to know, win one more of those. He has. I still think in his mind he wants nineteen. Well, there, yeah, he, I agree. He wants to be. There's no that. reason why he would be doing this to his body if he did. Without didn't. a doubt, and and I mean, let's be honest. For him to win another major, we said it. It'd be the goat of all goats. I would have. I think it would to. be the goat of all goats if he won a regular season I PGA Tour event. In a lot of ways, I do too. I'd have to finally to give in because I was not raised under the Tiger like you guys were. So I was Arnold Palmer, and even it wasn't Jack Nicklaus. I didn't idolize Jack Nicklaus. I believe it or not. So a lot of people would say, "Well, did you like Jack? Why are you supporting him over Tiger?" I just saw the longevity of Jack, but Jack didn't fight near what Tiger has. He didn't have injuries. Even Jack had no injuries that I really know of. Uh, and social media did not exist. He didn't have to go near through what Tiger's gone through. So um, you look around, there's no doubt in my mind that if, if shot for shot during his prime, I know Tiger was better than Jack. Uh, I think he's just about passing with my eyes. Any final thoughts on Tiger teed up? Well, yeah. So what I was trying to do was I'm trying to look up where the uh, the future venues, because as you mentioned, Sam, there's only about five more years left. So I think that where the courses are going to be at will probably be pretty pretty pivotal for Tiger going going forward. So I have uh, the Open Championship here. They actually only go three years out in advance, which is pretty short comparatively to the other ones. You have Royal Liverpool. To the U.S. Open, who's – 30. Has their tournaments up until three thousand? Yeah, pretty pretty interesting there. <laughs> twenty twenty three, it's at Royal Liverpool this year. Next year after that's Royal Troon. Then after that is at Royal Port Rush. So Tiger won at Royal Liverpool this year, but the other two courses he didn't necessarily have the most success when they were at. Uh, let's see here at the PGA Championship, you have Oak Hill this year. You have Valhalla twenty twenty four, which is where he beat uh, Bob May mm-hmm. in in the playoff. You have Quail Hollow the year after that. You have Aronimic, and then you have PGA Frisco, which. Aronimic. 
Yeah. Aronamink. How, how yep. do you pronounce it, Sam? Yeah, Aronamink. That's another you know fairly easy course to walk. I would say that's that's a long, just straight up golf course, kind of like Wingfoot. And then, so then for the next five U.S. Opens, you have LA Country Club this year. You have Pinehurst number two, which he has not won at, but he finished third there when when Payne Michael Stewart Campbell, field, and then he finished second yeah. to Michael Campbell in yeah. two thousand five. So he's yeah. had a little bit of decent success there. You have Oakmont twenty twenty five, which he finished second to Elgo Cabrera in two thousand seven. Then you have Shinnecock two thousand twenty six, which he's never played very well there. And then twenty twenty seven's at Pebble Beach. So. I, I don't know. I don't look at any of those courses and I say, oh, man, that really sets up really well for Tiger, with the exception of maybe like a Valhalla. But at the same time, yeah. there's just so many good players out there. And also, too, whenever he won that year against Bob May, I think they shot 18 under but for the two of them. So, yeah. as, as we mentioned before, Tiger doesn't really need the uh, the old, the All-American shootout. Who can shoot the lowest par for him to win? That goes under the conditions he needs to be able to win tournaments. No doubt about it. It's going to be very interesting to see how Tiger's body holds up and how he looks – Next time he tees it up, because we yeah. saw him look decent at the Masters last year, and he now he says that it, the leg does feel better, but he still has big problems with the ankle, not necessarily the shin that he shattered as well. Um, but it's going to be interesting because we saw him on the range at the start of you know uh, Southern Hills Week, and looks fine, looks great, but. I mean, he withdraws after making the cut there, so it's going to be interesting to see how the body actually holds up. I think that us looking forward to all these majors is all dependent on Tiger Woods' health, obviously. Uh, Guys, let's go ahead and take a break, and then when we get back from this break, we will be talking to the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, Ryan Hibble, coming off of their big-time win in Puerto Rico, looking forward to their next tournament in Vegas. We'll catch up with Ryan Hibble, the head coach of the Sooners, after this short break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys, and Jim Woodward. And T-Dub, we are joined by an absolute legend, the man who has turned around the Oklahoma golf program, Ryan Hibble. And Coach, 
hot start to the spring. I mean, you guys go down to Puerto Rico last year, set records in Puerto Rico this year. You go back and defend your title. Just tell us, start off this interview with telling us about Puerto Rico and everything that happened. Well, it's always great to start out the year with a win, obviously. Um, you know, I would say overall we probably had probably B, B-minus type game overall as a golf uh, team. Uh, we saw some glimpses in the final round. We had more firepower. Uh, and it was it was great to see us come from behind. Of course, the guys really don't know what's going on. They just know that they're trying to take care of their own business. And and I would say that final day, the golf course, you know, opened itself up to, to a lot more birdies. The wind was down. It was a little bit softer, a little bit more like the conditions we saw last year. Uh, the first two days, it was windier. They actually played us back closer to where the PGA Tour guys played. Um, so the golf course had a little bit more teeth this year. That's why the scores weren't quite as low as we were last year. Of course, we were, we were replacing Chris Goderup. Uh, he, he shot 20 under down there last year. So, And uh, I told the boys that going in, I'm like, somebody around here has got to shoot 20 under this week. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't get that, but uh, it was certainly a great way to start out the year. And, and uh, you know, we're learning as we're coming back. And, and, you know, we're heading out to Vegas on Friday, which is a completely different setup way different type of golf course, and, uh, you know, just really looking forward to getting out there. Coach, I was at the uh, OU basketball game last night and saw saw your crew out there on the court. That was pretty cool to see. Uh, what about this team stands out to you compared to some of the ones you've had in the past? Yeah, you know, every year is so uniquely different. You know, our heartbeat, uh, it changes from year year to year. And, uh, you know, the fall time, that's kind of our, our time to figure out who we are, what, we are, what we're going to be about. And since we've come back here, I've really enjoyed seeing where our guys are at. I feel like uh, we did a really good job in the offseason uh, getting our guys' bodies in shape. We had one, one injury kind of set back. Jay Summy's just kind of coming off of a back injury, uh, one of the reasons why he didn't travel down to uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, but, but overall, I just I really love the, you know, the intensity, uh, the, the attention to small detail. These guys are, are all in trying to either get in the lineup or, you know, become a, an All-American. Everybody's kind of trying to, you know, figure out that next rung in the ladder, you know, where they're at, and uh, all the way down through our entire lineup. Forget about the, the top couple guys. I'm talking about all the way down through. They're, they're truly trying to get better every week, and, and that's really all I can ask for. Pretty exciting when you say that you shoot 30 under and you thought that was B to B minus. <laughs> <laughs> As a coach, yeah. I would be pretty excited. And, and, and like you said, the golf course might not have been all that from a standpoint of difficulty. But when you feel like you've got that kind of team building from, I'm excited for you. you got to be excited. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, and, again, I feel like we do a, a fairly good job in that final round we have this year. Uh, I feel like we've been able to do that over the years. You know, we, we challenge ourselves to make sure that we're going to be the low round of the day, you know, in, in, in every, you know, final round uh, for sure. Getting off to, to great starts is, is still a big deal, though. I mean, I can argue that, that, you know, the starts of tournaments are just as important as anything, right? So <clears throat> I just within the first couple of days, there were certainly things that we just looked uh, sloppy in areas, um, uh, especially on some of the easier holes. We weren't, uh, you know, hammering down the birdies that we needed to. Uh, just our birdie count alone down there was not super high. Uh, the first day we, we made too many mistakes. So I'm saying all this, you know, knowing that, uh, by the way, fellas, winning is hard. And <laughs> especially right. in, in, yes, in, in our sport, you know, we don't just play, you know, one 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 team. We're, we played 13 other teams down there. 
So picking up a win against everybody is um, you know, something that we celebrate. I told that to the guys after we got done. You could tell a couple of them were still a little, you know, in their feels and, and um, disappointed. I'm like, we still just won a golf tournament. You have to remember that. We have to celebrate that because they don't come along very, very often. I mean, we've been spoiled here. I mean, you know, in the last five, six, seven years, we've won, won a lot of golf tournaments. But, you know, it's it's something that you really have to understand. Uh, even, I mean, heck, you saw on the PGA Tour – not just this week, but every week, you see guys kind of fold up and do some funky things coming down the stretch. And, and uh, you know, we have to talk through that with our own guys and realizing that it's not always going to be perfect coming down the stretch. And, and we got to just keep learning and growing and realizing that we still want the ball in our hands. And uh, I saw that down in Puerto Rico that final round. No doubt about it. You guys shoot 30 under for the golf tournament, Coach, and that's not even including Ben Lorenz, who was playing as an individual, finished high for second in the golf tournament. It's a good problem to have as a coach, but how do you handle, you know, going into a, a tournament like the next tournament knowing that you guys just won, but your individual finished best on the team? It, yeah. It's kind of a hard, you know, thing to handle. How do you how do you do it? Well, yeah, but but everything just has to kind of be spelled out before we get going. Um, so everybody's expectations are where they need to be. I rarely put exemptions uh, on the line for individuals. They're they're usually playing. Uh, on the other side of the golf course, that you know, the team stress is is a different. It's it's a different vibe. Um, you'll see individuals play good all the time, but I will say I, I put a, an exemption on the line for our individuals this past week because one of the main reasons was because Ben Lorenz could have been in our lineup as quick as anybody back here at house at the house and how we go through our qualifying process. He was right there. I mean, it was it was as close as as you'll ever see. Uh, based on some of our matches that we did and whatnot. And and so I, I put it on those guys. I said, you know, him and Jackson Dow, uh, top five got him in. You know, and and not only did he finish top five, he, he finished second, almost had a chance. You know, he had a chance to win the golf tournament. So kudos to him. He did what he had to do. He earned his opportunity to, to go to Vegas. And uh, we did. We left there with four guys that are exempted. And so, you, I mean, your question is how do you manage that? Well, we had one spot, and we came back here, and we, we duked it out, and, and uh, Jake Holbrook uh, earned that spot, so he's going to be heading out to Vegas this week as our as our five man um, you know roster, which will be will will include uh, you know Ben Lorenz, who you were talking about, Patrick Welch, uh, Drew Goodman, and Stephen Campbell Jr. So that'll be our five going out. Coach, doing the show with you live out here at Jimmy Austin, expect to see some of your boys coming in through here and out. So what is just take us through an average day with your team. What does it look like from the morning when they get out of class to their practice routine, come out qualifying? And obviously it'll be different in season compared to off season, but just, just take us through what an average day looks like. Yeah, and, you know, I would say uh, throughout the year it changes quite a bit, right, based on the timing in between tournaments. I mean, today we're actually – it's an off day. We have to take an off day every single week. Sorry uh, for making you come into work on no, an no, off no. day. That's You're not, not off. The players not, are off. Yeah, the, play, <laughs> the players are off. Uh, you know, we're not we're not able to do things with our guys on an off day, but uh, usually they're still out. You know, you know, going through their normal practice routines and whatnot, even on an off day. But uh, like tomorrow, we'll have workouts in the morning time. Uh, we usually go either seven forty-five or eight o'clock in the morning, based on our on our class schedules. Guys will go to class usually till about lunchtime. Most of the guys eat lunch together, which I think is always great, uh, just from a team building perspective. And then we're kind of off, you know, in, in the afternoon doing our our golf stuff, whether we're playing, practicing, uh, you know, kind of grinding through whether it's individual stuff or or you know with the team. I would say you know when we're actually doing our 
our team stuff, though, I mean, it, we're still hammering out the individual side of things, but we're we're really focused in on the team competition side. We compete a lot every single day within our, our own practices. And then the guys are off. You know, they have tutors at night. They have mentoring sessions at night. So it's a full day uh, as a college athlete. There's no doubt about it. That's uh, That's crazy to hear him say that you get a day off. I've, life's changed so yeah. much, Coach. Um, I, I can't even imagine going to Mike Holder and saying, Coach, it's my day off. Uh, the, the butt ripping I would have gotten, uh, which would have been standard for me. So when did this come about? When you're, you're so much different on your schedules. In a way, you're different, but you're almost exactly what I was 30 years ago, 35 years ago to Oklahoma State, where we went to lunch, we had early classes, real early, always had lunch together, went to the golf course, started, you know, going from there. As a coach, how do you keep them all motivated, or do you even have to? Well, that starts kind of the recruiting game, right, is making sure that you're getting the right guys that are, that are on property and they, that they understand what the mission of our program and, and what our team is, but also – thinking about, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is for most of these guys to go try and make money professionally, right? So, uh, you know, in theory, you know, you're better, you're better teams, better motivated teams. You, you wouldn't even have to schedule practice, right? I yeah. mean, you, I mean, the guys are going to come out anyway and, and do their, do their work. Uh, but for us, we, we still like to have, you know, our hands on our guys at certain times to make sure that we're heading in, you know, proper directions and, you know, like talking about Las Vegas, you know, uh, yesterday we, we already got our, our crew together. We only, you know, chatted for 15 minutes about the golf course, but just wrapping their minds around what we're getting ready to go do because um, it's a uniquely different golf course and you have to be very good distance control. You have to be very good, um, you know, with your club selection off the tee boxes to make sure that you're in a good spot. Uh, and we've been around – I've been around this golf course uh, over 20 years now. I actually played in this event as a college player. So we, we've seen it all out there. And and so getting our guys prepared for, for that, um, you know, that's something that's probably changed over the, over the years, Jim. When you think about just college coaching, uh, there's so many great coaches out there in our profession now, and getting your guys prepared for the week is something that uh, I think has really amped itself up over the years. Their bodies are in better shape. Uh, their, you know, their minds are potentially in better shape. That's still debatable at times, but, uh, you know, nutrition, you know, and, and getting, getting, you know, just all their, their flow and their vibes as, as good as possible before we travel. Once we get on property, uh, you know, I would say things that haven't really changed that much since you, since you played college golf, right? I mean, you're still putting the peg in the ground, uh, trying to figure it all out. But I do think that the preparation side of things is, is, has probably been amped up over the years. One more thing that's changed, at least obviously not in, not just in college golf, but in, in every sport, is the transfer portal. And we've seen some controversial things recently with, you know, like Brian Stark at OSU being able to play in the spring. I mean, number one, you've done a lot of great things in the portal with Goderup and Luke Kluver coming from Kansas this year. But it seems like you do it in the off season. What do you think about guys doing it in the middle of the season? Do you think that that should be legal? Well, it it didn't used to be. I actually just was talking to one of our compliance officers this morning about we were talking about several different things uh, when it comes to some rule changes that we're going to kind of go tackle. But this is one of them. I I didn't even really know what was going on there. But uh, the fact that you start with a, a squad 
whether you play or not, um, you know, you're still part of a team. And then, you know, you transfer. And, again, this isn't against, you know, their situation and what they did. I'm just talking about just countrywide in, in the NCAA. I don't think that that's very smart for us to be able to do that. Uh, Especially for people that don't understand, you, in golf, it's different than other sports. You have a fall season and a spring season that's combined into one season. So right. he's technically transferring in the middle of the season. But yeah, it, it, yeah, right. I mean, we play our fall means just as much as our springtime. Right. I mean, for the NCAA rankings, whether a kid plays or not, I, I just view it as you're still a part of that squad, and and um, I just think that it's really interesting. And again, I think that this is a, a fairly new rule change because the Big 12 used to have an intra-conference, uh, you know, sit out. Uh, like like for instance, Luke Kluver wouldn't have been able to to come and play this year for us. For, doesn't matter when he transferred. Um, but that went away. But I had no idea about the actual during the year situation. That 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 was new for me. But either way, I mean, you know, we're all trying to work through it. Um, you know, and the, you got the rules, and you know, you just play by you know whatever whatever we need to do there. But um, you know, kudos to to the kid for uh, you know if that's what he wanted to do. I mean, that's you know great for him. So. But aside from just that Stark situation, how, how much time do you spend in the portal or looking at guys in the portal in the offseason recruiting? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't even tell you how to log into the portal, to be honest with you. Mo, you know, the, we've been fortunate. Um, <laughs> there you, know, you go. I, I mean, yeah, I, it depends on, I would imagine, who you are and where you're at. And people, you know, listening might sit there and go, well, man, you've gotten, you know, Jonathan Brightwell and Chris Goddard up and then Luke Kluver, but – those basically all happened because I had already got, you know, received some form of a phone call from somebody saying, Hey, this guy's in the portal, <laughs> you know, and then right. we have to, you know, double check that a guy is actually in the portal, um, you know, to, to get that recruiting going. But um, yeah, I mean, we're not sitting there, you know, diving into the portal every single day to, to try and figure it out. And I know that's probably an interesting question. It's a little uh, surprising to me. Ba- yeah. Based yeah. on, you know, but again, I think it depends on where you're at, wh- what you're looking for, um, and trying to figure out, uh, you know, what, what your what your needs are. For other sports that have, you know, we only, we've got a small roster, right? So, uh, you know, somebody that's got 85 guys, you know, that might look be, you know, they might be logging in every single day. Well, it's pretty funny. I've heard of word-of-mouth advertising, but word-of-mouth recruiting and transfer portal, that's pretty funny that you just hear from other people and you go check it out on there. That's fairly interesting. And, and along the same lines of that, we had Mike McGraw on about a month ago or so, and he, he was talking about how if he could change one rule in the transfer portal, he would say that he wished that the player had to talk, sit down with the coach mm-hmm. and talk with them and give them – essentially have a conversation as to why they were leaving. W- would you agree with something like that, or are there any other changes that you see could be going on with the transfer portal to make it better? Well, yes, I agree with Coach McGraw. I mean, I think some form – I mean, we've lost a lot of our uh, leverage as coaches over the years, um, you know, and, and um, the portal has been in response to, um, uh, you know, a lot of the student-athlete welfare, you know, being able to kind of have their own power and whatnot. So, yeah, just being able to sit down and, and, and have that conversation for sure. Uh, if, if people have left us – I've been fortunate that – uh, you know, our guys are, are communicating, you know, and, and we have those conversations. But if I were in a spot where a guy didn't, that would really, you know, drive me up the wall uh, for sure. But, yeah, I, I personally think, you know, the transfer portal piece, if if you just went back to the old rules of a, you you would, would have to sit out a year, I think you would see a lot less transferring going on. And, again, I don't – you know, our, within our sport, you don't see it as much. 
I mean, like our first two instances that we're talking about, Brightwell and Goderup, they were both fifth year. They graduated. They 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 put their four years in, and then they wanted to do it on the grad transfer. That to me is a little bit different than somebody that's still in the undergrad department. And um, you know, and maybe that's what needs to be looked at, maybe differently. Is hey, if you've graduated and you know you've put you know you, you've done your thing, then maybe you wouldn't have to sit out. Uh, but but if you're in your undergrad still working through it, maybe you would have to. I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of spitballing here. But that was the old rule, and you didn't see nearly as much transferring. So once they opened up Pandora's box by basically just kind of free will, and I think that's when you know you're getting what you're getting, especially in these other sports. I mean, you're seeing guys, you know, do it two, three, four times, uh, which is amazing. Yeah, that. I think it's interesting because uh, when when we have one of you guys on, whether it's Mike McGraw or yourself, I know a lot of our listeners have kids out there. Mm-hmm. That in I've in all my years of teaching, I've run across many parents that think they have the next Tiger Woods, which they might have a kid named Tiger, but he's not going to be that Woods. So, <laughs> uh, and it's really difficult to explain to them uh, how difficult it is. Coach McGraw said something that I totally agreed with. He, he was talking about when he was recruiting a kid, a kid needs to be able to beat everybody in his own state before he needs to worry about getting and going to AJGA out here and out there and everything else. And I thought about it for a minute, and I thought, you know, he's right, because Ernie Vossler was my head pro when I was a little kid, and, and he was just brutally honest with you. He said, you know, Squeaky, that was my nickname because I was going through puberty. That was a fun time. <laughs> and uh, he said, Squeaky, if you can't beat everybody at this club, that's the first place you better figure out. If you can't beat all the kids here, then you need to beat them all in Oklahoma. Then you might can if you can beat them in Oklahoma, Texas, and maybe Arkansas. Then you need to worry about going all around the country. He said, if you can't beat them right here, what good are you doing? You can't, you can't think you're special. So recruiting-wise, again, I think a lot of our listeners like to know What's a Ryan Hibble look at? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I, there's there's a lot of things that we look at, um, but certainly getting out uh, on a stage to where you feel like that you have a chance to win. It, that's kind of what you were talking about earlier, and the process of that. I mean, some of our better players here that that we've had at Oklahoma, um, Quade Cummins, never once played in an AJGA outside. I mean, he never played outside the state of Oklahoma. Now, did that make him feel when he first got here that maybe he was a little bit behind? Maybe, but that was his path, and that's and, and he did a great job with that. Michael Gellerman, Sterling, Kansas, uh, he played in a U.S. junior, but that's basically the only thing that he really played in outside the state of Kansas. But they were the best players in their states, and, and so they, they gained confidence by that. I do think us as parents do try and rush things. I'm kind of going currently going through that with my own – Freshman in high school right now, uh, Addie, who's who's a basketball player here at Norman High, and you know, me and my wife were talking about, you know, how hard do we push this summer with it when it comes to camps and getting her exposed, and you know, it, it's an interesting balance, right? Because us as parents, we want to give our kids as many opportunities as possible, but you still have to manage still what what's the main goal here, and that's for us to keep getting better, and for her, to, you know, for your junior golfer to keep picking up the confidence that it takes. Uh, to, to, you know, keep growing your game. And, you know, I'm going to go back to her. I've told her, I'm like very similar to what Coach McGraw said. I, you know, the goal right now is to be the, become the best point guard in, in Norman, right? And then, then after that, then you start thinking about maybe South Oklahoma City, 
you know, and then you kind of move into the state of Oklahoma. And then so, so you have these little goals that you can kind of, you know, reach and go, hey, are you the best point guard in – in Norman, Oklahoma right now. That, that would be my question. And so similar to, to the golf side of things, that's what you said. You know, you can't get out over your skis too, too quickly, even though we all do think that our kids are, are, are great at times. Um, it's not downplaying high-level competition because I'm all in on us going as hard as we can go. But you have to know when that right timing is for sure. No doubt about it. And, Coach, you talked a little bit about this when you were talking about recruiting, but I feel like you have one of the best cultures in the NCAA just as a program, and it's got to be a little bit different culture this year. If I'm not mistaken, you only have one senior, which is the cross-handed bandit, Vinny. Um, and so, to me, I, I, I mean, it has to be a little different as a coach, but maybe it's not. Yeah, this year um – because Patrick is – he's our fifth-year senior, but we have two other guys that are fourth – I'm sorry, we actually have three other guys that are fourth-year fourth, fourth year guys. So we actually have more experience uh, from an age, uh, you know, age group perspective than, than you might think. But I think because we have newer players in the game that, that not a lot of our viewers have, are used to seeing, it, it's like, well, you, you have a young team. We have more of an inexperienced team, but we're not necessarily young. I mean, this team that we're about to go out to Vegas – with Ben Lorenz, he's a third-year guy. Stephen Campbell, he's a third-year guy. He's a redshirt sophomore, but he's a third-year guy. Um, Patrick is a, obviously a fifth-year guy. Um, um, Drew Goodman, second-year guy who's played basically every week for us. Um, and then I'm missing somebody here. Uh, anyway, I am taking Jay Summy as an individual, uh, one, of our, one of our true freshmen who did a phenomenal job this this fall, um, you know, getting it, getting after it for us. But we just have some new players in the game. Patrick's the guy that, that everybody's kind of used to seeing, and we don't have some of those players that, that you know, were stapled names for us for, for quite some time. So uh, we're okay in the age, age department. We just are trying to get as much experience with a, with a core group of guys. Coach, you kind of mentioned this earlier when you were talking about the daily routine. I mentioned the morning workouts. And so just kind of take us through what that looks like for for an app, for a college player because obviously distance now is such a big thing. And, and just take us through the evolution because I'm sure a workout routine is a little different than maybe it was 15 years ago or something. It, it was. We've we've evolved a lot in our workouts. Um, I'm not – I mean, you know, early on in my, my days here in Oklahoma, we weren't doing just football-type workouts. We were still trying to get – certain golf specific type movements and and whatnot but we've gotten way better over the years i mean you take it just look at the education that you can find anywhere now on you know how your body needs to be moving uh there's different different uh patterns that we do in the weight room whether it's even in our warm-ups uh pretty strong warm-ups i mean you know us four would be sitting there sweating immediately in our warm-ups you'd be sitting there going are we, are we done uh, now this is just the stretching part, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean you're you're I mean our guys get after. We only go 45 minutes. I mean 45 to 50 minutes max, but our guys really get after it within that time frame. We do push heavy weight uh, certain times in the year, in particular in our off season program. I mean right now we'll still get after and push some weight uh, because we're not afraid to because we've trained our bodies. We do some speed, uh, you know, some actual golf speed training type stuff. Uh, that that's implemented through our our workout program, so all of it together. I mean, we do endurance. Um, you know, every you know the the 
the taglines back when I was playing college golf, oh, it's all about your core. It's all about your core. It's still all about your core. It's just we do it, you know, differently. We don't just sit there and do, you know, crunches all day long uh, like we kind of used to. We there's There's been better – uh, education and, and better ways about going about doing that. Because at the end of the day, we want our guys in peak performance, but we also want them to be as healthy as possible, uh, you know, for a longer period of time, you know, because our bodies get worn out. You know, everybody will talk about these other sports, and there's no doubt. they It's the wear and tear is on their bodies, but you talk about hitting millions of golf balls down through turf at a high speed. I mean, you're going to have some issues, you know, when you're 40 years old, you know. And so we're trying to prolong those out. You haven't sent them to, to Schmitty yet, have you? <laughs> well, a little bit, yeah. Schmitty's been in there with us. Uh, <laughs> wow. uh, you got to tell yeah, us about yeah, this. Yeah. Well, I mean, he hasn't actually gotten a hold of our guys. I've threatened to do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love Schmitty, you know. My brother actually was coached by by Jerry Schmidt as well, so I've got a long history with him. When I first got to OU, he was here. Then obviously he left, and then he came back. and And the aura that's uh, around uh, Schmidt is is awesome, and we love it. I, it was last year uh, Schmidt was had just taken back over, and um, you, you know he had his football guys in there, and they were done. They're about to move a squat rack, and our guys we were doing like a competition, like a, a hanging competition grip strength and just how much grit do you have ultimately it was kind of a gritty uh exercise right and the football guys circled up all my guys <laughs> and they start chanting boomer sooner and it was one of the most kind of organically great moments in our program's history was watching those football guys get you know super supportive of my guys because they see them just grinding and that's why it's important for me uh you know and i talk to our our staff and and our football coaches and all these coaches, if I can get, you know, in their ear, train cross training with other athletes is a big deal. Unfortunately, in today's world, you're starting to see everybody set up shop at their own facility. And uh, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, I, I like it when we're in there with the softball girls, uh, the, fo- the football guys, the volleyball girls, whoever, it doesn't really matter. It's about us being able to see each other and, and watching them go through the grind uh, because ultimately we're, we're all just trying to be elite athletes, and, and, you know, it doesn't really matter what sport you're in. I think that's why the Olympics are so special, right? You get the best of the best hanging around each other, and they love it. And a lot of it's because they know you're the best. You're the best. You're the best. Well, at our place, we got a lot of sports that are great, and it's fun to be around those elite athletes. And that builds it. You, you're right. Winning builds winning. It, the more you're around winners, the more you become one. I find it ironic because I know when I was going to college again, I'm dating myself, uh, a workout consisted of going and eating a coney and having a beer. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and we did okay. Yeah. We weren't yeah. bad. But, but the problem was that there wasn't that in our world. So, it, it is it is always impressive to me watching the Netflix series, how hard these guys work out. So, um, I miss that, Aaron. That, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I had this, this is a tough question for you, and if you, you might not be able to think of it, but I wanted to, you to tell our listeners your first major highlight that made you so proud to be the coach and your biggest letdown you've had since you've been the coach at OU. Ooh, yeah, Those that's a tough a good ones, one. I know. Well, I would tell you the biggest highlight, the the, the most proud that I've ever been in. Uh, it's it's hard because we've had so many moments, but I for me personally, uh, there's no doubt that it was in 2016 
me and my wife had just lost a, a child and, and um, kind of late in the, in the pregnancy piece. And, and um, I did not travel to a term. It's the only term I've ever missed. It, uh, we were going up to Minnesota and our guys uh, went and won that golf tournament. Whether they won or not was not a big deal, but they did win. They kind of came, came down the stretch and made big time birdies on the last hole, which is a really cool par five. And I know that there was a lot of tears in those in those guys' eyes uh, because they wanted to win it for for not not even me, it was for my wife and and our family. And that was probably the most special and most proud moment that I've ever had as a coach. Um, there's no doubt about that. You know, the most disappointed. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's, you know, I I don't know. I mean, uh, disappointment. That's a tough word. Uh, is probably more disappointment in in myself and maybe the things that we could have done better at times to get our guys either prepared um, or you know myself handling situations differently. Um, they're, they're, you know even here recently and at at national championships, maybe even thinking about putting guys in in different spots. Um, you know from a match play perspective, could it have helped us you know do something different? But probably so. It's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what those were, but I know that I've I've felt that way, uh, certainly because that's um, you know when you're able to actually do some some serious you know strategery uh, in in your moves, um, you know. But overall, my 14 years out here has been so so daggum special, and I'm so thankful. It's pr- it's really hard for me to think about too much disappointment because um, year after year, I'm so proud of our guys. And what they're doing, and our people that surround our program, that I try not to get wrapped up in 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 that side of the you know of of what's going on. I find it ironic because I ask that question on more than one successful person, almost to a T. They can tell you their highlight reel. They struggle because they're so win basis. You're so positive. You don't want to talk about a failure because even if it was a failure, it wasn't in your eyes. You learned from it. Yep. So it, it's just that's the reason why I had to ask that question I, to him because I kind of figured what I'd get. That's yeah. good stuff. It really is. Um, awesome. One thing that I've seen in preparation from teams recently is the match play aspect. And the match play, I, I feel like teams, even when I was in college five years ago, didn't play as many match play tournaments as they do now. Now you guys played the Big 12 match play. You know, you're going into the SEC, and they their you know conference championship is match play. I mean, do you guys um, kind of strategically put match play tournaments on your schedule now when you didn't used to? Well, because of the Big 12 match play that happens in the fall – we haven't done very much addition to our schedule because we feel like we actually get some nice prep work there, but we have to do a lot of prep work back here at the house too. We and then, I, and then a, a follow-up to that was like we saw Texas Tech and North Carolina play a little match when their tournament yeah. got canceled. Have you done anything like inter-squad with another team like that or anything? Well, it's funny you said we're going next week. We're playing Texas A&M in a match at Whispering Pines. I've never done it before. Um, I, to be honest with you, the reason why – I, I had an extra day, and uh, about mid-spring is when you, you start seeing a little bit of a separator within your golf team. You got kind of the travelers, and, you know, th- then you got the guys that are kind of right there in the middle, and then you got the, the guys that maybe aren't traveling as much. And so I wanted to do something a little different this year and load everybody up. We're, ha- we're actually loading up on a bus, like what baseball would do or softball. We're going to go down. We're going to play 
a fun round with the A&M guys, and then we're going to play a match. All you know, we got eleven guys that are that are that are playing golf, and they've got eleven guys. We're going to go play a match play. So it was to try and get. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be competitive, but it's really for me more about let's get in all all. Tw- I've actually got twelve guys that are going to travel, but only eleven will play. And let's just go have a great team, basically team retreat, because we don't get to do that in golf, right? We usually right. travel with five or six guys. And so, uh, but that is going to be match play. And and back here at the house, I mean, this past weekend, we had a little bit of match play uh, in our qualifying because it, it's just things that we are constantly trying to, to press and learning how to win matches because um, some guys are great at it and some guys need a lot of work. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, and the only way you're going to do that is by by experience and getting more practice with it. That's absolutely right, Coach. And this is sort of to piggyback off of Woody's question and sort of just analyzing success and failures because obviously you can go to some tournaments, you can play, your team can play really well, and you just lose. Maybe there's another team that goes out there, just plays really well, and you can have other tournaments where you don't have your best stuff and you still end up winning the tournament. So how do you as a coach analyze the comparison between how your team actually plays versus the result of the, the outcome of the tournament? Well, I feel like I've got a pretty good, you know, idea of what a good round is every day on every golf course that we play, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think that just comes from my playing experience, and I've been doing this for so long now. I mean, by about the fifth or sixth hole, unless something crazy has happened, I already know in my – I have a, a an idea in my mind of what a pretty good round is versus an average round versus not a very good round. So even if I'm with one guy – you know, I'm still going to be judging off of probably what my expectations were going into as the round progresses. Some of its whole locations, green speeds, the whole deal, right? And then after each round, we, we talk about it. We try and break it down, um, you know, and, and at the end of the week, uh, similarly, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to, um, you know, uh, my assistant, Bill Alcorn, he does a great job statistically uh, t- talking with our guys quite a bit about where we're at and we do that together as a team and and so long story short there's a lot that goes into you know the evaluation process but I would say probably the early judgments uh just lie in the fact that when we go out on the golf course if it's you know blowing 30 out here at Jimmy it's 48 degrees we already know it's probably gonna be a pretty tough day right I don't care where the flags are going to be so you kind of already have this thought no different as a player what those expectations, you know, are going to be and probably need to be, and then you kind of flow through the round and, and go from there. But um, collectively as a group, we know that we're just trying to get as much out of our game. And sometimes, you know, uh, 73s is, is, might be the best we could have done that day. Uh, and, the, and the next day you might shoot 65 and realize how badly you – I mean, you didn't get very much out of your round. Isn't that crazy? But that's sometimes where we're at as a golfer. Um, so uh, – but we have to communicate – with our guys to understand where they're at at times because we don't get a chance to see it on film uh, like other sports do. You know, uh, you're talking about Whispering Pines, and Chris Rowe's got to be so excited you're coming because he's just an OU nut. Yeah. Uh, I play a little pro-am down there every year in the spring, so it's about a seven-hour drive, and that's a great time for your team to bond. Uh, you also might want to stop right before you get there. There's a little uh, barbecue place called Woody's. Okay. <laughs> really good, really good. But I got a question for you. Knowing that you're going to Whispering Pines, I st- I, it's one of my favorite golf courses. I think it's that shot in, shot out, one of the most perfect golf courses to see if you're playing any good. If that week or that day you're down there, will you? I would think as a coach, I'd learn a lot about my players, how they navigate that place. 
No doubt. You know, we played we, – we were fortunate to win Big 12s down there at Whispering Pines last year, and you know exactly where your game is going through that place. It is a big-time golf course, arguably the best golf course in the state of Texas. Um, that it, I know it's always ranked super high. I have a little bit of historical, you know, thought on, on certain golf courses, but I love Whispering Pines. And, you know, we're finishing up our last Big 12 conference there next year. Uh, that's, uh, again, another side benefit is we're going to go see the golf course one more time before because we have rules in place that you can't go play a year in advance of the of the tournament so or within that calendar year. So uh, this will be our, <laughs> our, our one time to go see the golf course one more time, um, you know, before conference next year. But to your point, love being able to see our guys hit it around there. You have to ball strike it. Um, you know, you can make – you can putt it really well down there. I always feel like – because the greens are always perfect. Perfect. And uh, I do feel like you see a lot of putts go in, but uh, from tee to green, it's very difficult. A lot of really critical shots. The 18th hole, what a mm. great finishing hole to where that pin is yeah. set there. You get that false front, those island greens back there that you're shooting at the par threes. I, it's just guys, if, like I said, I've always tell my two guys that we work with, man, that's a place if you get a chance to do it. So yeah. as a coach, that's the reason why I asked that question, Sam. I just I, I wanted to hear what he thought. No doubt about it. Last question I got for you, Coach, is right now on Golf Stat, you're right around 10th, and I think you're like 13th on Golf Stat, 8th on uh, Golf Week and, and stuff like that. But my point here is, is what is a successful finish to this season for you? And, I mean, I think a lot of no outside noise before the season said you guys were probably going to have a down year after losing Chris Gutter up in McAllister, and you guys are right there with a chance to make match play again. What's a successful season for the Sooners? You know, we love the noise. Uh, it, 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 it really pushes uh, us, our guys. I mean, we use it as firepower. Um, there's no doubt about that. And uh, doubters uh, make a – I mean, you know – Part of our program is to play with a little bit of chip. I'll be honest with you, and it doesn't matter how good we are. We we always try and, and promote that. And um, you know, for us, I you know, success. I say this every year. I just want our guys to get better. If I can sit there and go, by the end of this year, we got better as a team, and individually we're in a better spot. Then I feel like it's a win. Now, again, you know, the outsiders will sit there and go, well, that means you got to better go win some championships. No, I mean, hey, we've had many years. Uh, you know, where we did phenomenally and we never won. And I still took that as big-time wins because we were still doing this. And I feel like that's where we're heading with this team right now. I mean, again, we won last week. It's nice to – that's two in a row for us, Hawaii, Puerto Rico. And if we can just kind of keep building on that momentum, I mean, our guys are going to be in a good spot coming down the stretch here. And and, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that we can go do something really, really special uh, coming down the stretch. It's a matter of – of of the guys, you know, playing quality golf at the right time and executing and having pure trust and belief in their teammates and in themselves, and and uh, I think this squad can do that. No doubt. Well, thank you for joining us today on the seventy third hole and giving your time to us today. Yeah, Appreciate thank you, it, Coach. Yeah, thank you, guys. Good luck the thank rest you. of the year. Thanks. Guys, just a great interview there with the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, Ryan Hibble, spending 30 minutes out of his day to just talk to us on a podcast, talking about the Sooners. 
I am looking forward to watching this Sooners team because I feel like they're going a little under the radar. Like I said, they're 13th on golf stat right now. I think that they can make some noise, like he said, coming off back-to-back wins and having that guy as your head coach. If he doesn't motivate you, I don't know who will, T-Dub. No, if you, if you can't play for that guy, then you, you better pick up another sport. Go play bowling or something like that. But, <laughs> but we've mentioned this numerous times on this show. So many great teams out there, so many great players. OU's going to have a great team in and out. It's really just going to be about how well they do in the, the end, of April to early, end of April to early May because that's going to be the time that matters. Really what happens in the middle of February doesn't matter. You can't get a seed for regionals, which is absolutely preposterous to me. But uh, a lot of the insights he gave right there, Woody, were just astounding, especially the, the, the story that he gave to your question about um, – being what was your biggest failure and what was oh, your yeah. biggest success? That was a great answer you gave there. Well, it's no, it's not hard to see why this guy's a winner. I mean, and why this program has made such a turnaround. And, and it's, it's a direct correlation to, to Ryan Himmel. I mean, there that is why this program's gotten to where it's gotten in this short a period of time. I will say this, Sam: winning breeds winning. I don't That's care right. whether it's Puerto Rico, it's uh, Hawaii. I, I, I don't care about your fields. I don't care about any of that. If these young men can keep going to golf tournaments and winning, hey, <laughs> you know what? That's John Rahm. Nothing better than confidence, yeah, right? Ask John Rahm what it feels like to be confident right now, okay? So, no doubt about it. No, it. no doubt about it. Uh, and, yeah, by the way, after that interview, we shook hands and we're shooting the breeze with Coach Hibble a little bit. He said, guys, I mean – when are we doing our next interview? Like yeah. later later in the spring. So we'll definitely have some more content with Ryan Hibble. Uh, just an absolute great guy. And, you know, spring season starting up. Follow College Golf at golfoklahoma.org. Our man Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a great job up in Tulsa covering Big 12 College Golf. They cover, you know, they'll be out there for live at Cedar Ridge in Tulsa. Everything local golf, they have you covered at golfoklahoma.org. Guys, uh, we were talking about John Rahm a little earlier. This was his 10th career PGA Tour win, second most by a Spanish-born player. I think I could guess who the first one was, uh, Seve Ballesteros. And then fifth win in the last nine worldwide starts for him. Only player with three wins this season, and he got another 550 FedEx Cup points. He has three wins this season. Here's my question. How many does he end up with? That's a good question. Uh, I definitely think he'll have to win – I, can we all agree? We think he'll win at least one major. I think he will. I do too. Yeah, so I, I, I think, I think he's point, winning the next major. I think I would be shocked if he doesn't win a major. So that bumps him up to at least four. He, he's going to be number one in the FedEx Cup, barring something ridiculous. So you'd think that the Tour Championship would probably be up there. So that makes it five. Then you would think there'd be one more in there. I'm going to say six, Woody. Tiger in his prime. I know one year. I know he won eight, at least. One time. I know he, he won seven. nine in 2000. In 2000. I was he won say, seven he in won, a row or eight in a row yeah, at one point. I, 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 thought, I couldn't remember if he got to nine. I knew he, he had – and it wasn't just those years. He had a couple of few years. So, I'm going to say that uh, barring injury, which this is the toughest thing, guys. We just don't know. But what did you say, six? I said six. It's only three more. <laughs> I mean, I – 
I could see six pretty easily. I think you're above six would be tough. A seven or eight. Above six. I mean, that's tough. historically great. Yeah, that's tough with the fields and what all's going on. So, uh, I, I think he might be spot on. T-Dub might be spot on with six. And we're going to see him in action a lot, too, with these elevated events being mandatory, yeah. right? Obviously, he'll take one of them off, I, I would assume, because, you know, they're allowed to take one of them off, and he played in Hawaii where Rory didn't play. Right. Um but, yeah, we're going to see him in action quite a bit. I, I would say six or seven. I don't think that's crazy to say. No, no. And for, for reference point here, so Tiger did have the nine in 2000. He had won eight two different years, won eight yeah. in 1999 and 2006. The most in any year was Byron Nelson in 1945 with 18 wins in a year. I don't think that will ever be topped, Woody. No, 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 no. He won 11 in a row. Well, uh, and what, so that would, no. What, what's a record that will stand for longer, 18 wins in a season or 11 wins in a row? Oh, 11 in a row. I, I think 11 in a row. I, I don't think either of them are getting yeah, touched. No, you can't touch either one of those. And, and you know, do you want to put an asterisk by that? No, because that's a problem. We can't keep wiping out history, gentlemen. That's It happened. What, you can you can throw a spin on it any way you want, but Byron Nelson won 11 in a row in 18 in one year. And yeah. that that's a record that will never be touched. And, and one of the reasons they say they'd be an asterisk because he played a lot of team events. That kind right, of that, that, those right, were a lot more right, common back right, then. And also, right. in 1945, there was kind of a big thing going on in the world back then. So you yeah, know, competitive yeah. golf wasn't necessarily the biggest thing going on in the world, Sam. No doubt about it, guys. It's live time. <laughs> Maya Coba this week on the live tour, guys. And we had the schedules release since our last show. Um, we also had the teams. The, every, every single team, we know who is on each team. I'll kind of run through this for people because this only came out uh, uh, like 48 hours ago. So you have the four aces who won it all last year, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Pat Perez, and Peter Uline. Our man Taylor Gooch is not on the aces this year. Um, and then you have the Cleeks, who is Martin Keimer, Bern Wiesberger, Graham McDowell, Richard Bland. High Flyers, who I was looking at Vegas odds. They are uh, the longest shot to win it all uh, for Liv this year. They are captained by... The head of all of this, Phil Mickelson, um, and then Cameron Tringali, James Pyatt, and Brendan Steele, who just came over from the PGA Tour. Good pickup, not a great pickup uh, for, for Liv there, but I would say that Phil has some work to do with the high flyers this year because some of these teams are really impressive, one of which being the Crushers, Bryson DeChambeau, Paul Casey, Chucky Three Sticks, and Honorbon Lahiri. The Majestics are <laughs> co-captained by three different guys, yeah. guys. I don't know how this is going to work out. Henrik Stinson, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwoods are your captains, and then the rest of your team is Sam Horsfield. <laughs> so. How do you feel if you're what? Sam Horsfield? That's, um, that's why we have three captains. That's right. The Ironheads, you got Kevin Na, uh, and then Scott Vincent, uh, Siwon Kim, and Danny Lee. Team Smash adds an Oklahoma guy. Team Smash is Brooks Kepka's team, and now they add uh, Matthew Wolf to go along with Jason Kokrak and Chase Kepka. That's a team to look out for, especially if Kepka and Wolf start playing a little better golf. We saw Wolf finish top 10 at the Saudi International. Um, looks to be, you know, on good form. The Fireballs guys are actually the favorites to win it all in Vegas. They have Sergio Garcia, Abe Anser, who won that Saudi International tournament a few weeks ago. Carlos Ortiz and Eugenio Lopez Chicara, formerly of Oklahoma State, who won on live last year. You have Team Torque, who is Joaquin Neiman, Sebastian Munoz, Mito Pereira, and David Puig. 
David Pooge, I should say, is how he pronounces it. That's a really solid team. A lot better than Team Torque was last year with some of the Asian Tour guys. Um, you also have Team Ripper, who is Cam Smith, Mark Leishman, Matt Jones, and Jed Morgan. Team Stinger, Louis Eustazen, Charles Schwartzel, Brendan Grace, and Dean Burmester adds uh, to that South African team. And then we get to my favorite team, the Range Goats. The Range Goats has our man... Taylor Gooch on it now, coming over from the Aces. Bubba Watson, obviously the captain. Harold Varner the third, and they add the biggest addition really over the offseason, Thomas Peters, who was ranked 30th in the world at the time of him going to live. Guys, the Range Goats, and their colors are pink and black, which I think could could uh, be kind of cool. I, I, I kind of like that, guys. Any thoughts on favorites? So let's go ahead right now, preseason predictions. Who wins it all? I'm going with the Goats. I want to pick the Goats, too. I mean, I think they're a really stacked team. Bubba, TG, we can all pick Barner, the same and, one. and Thomas Peters. I think they're pretty good. Before the season. This is end-of-the-year predictions. Not for this week, necessarily, because we'll do our draft uh, that – you know, Woody lost all that pizza on last year. We'll continue that into this year. Um, but you're going with the goats, too, at the end of all of this. Uh, I, you know, I can't do that just because you already picked them. I'll have to go with the defending champion, the uh, the four aces, even though they did lose our man TG. Still have Dustin Johnson, probably the best player that is currently on live. Cam Smith could be argued there. I will say this, though, guys. If you make a bet on the high flyers, Phil Mickelson's team, I think you're an absolute idiot. That team has no <laughs> chance of They're horrible. They're they absolutely horrible. They're bad. Woody, here's the list right here. Who do you like off that list to win the championship at the end of the year? Absolutely. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> wow. That's brutal. That is really brutal. Um, I got to tell you guys, I was looking at two different teams that I liked. And it was the fireballs for sure. And, um, well, I, I, I got to tell you, Torque, I like Joaquin. They're Newman. sneaky. And with that, Adam Mito, yep. I mean, those two are buddies. And they, you know, watching that little Netflix deal, I didn't If it weren't for what Cam Young were. did, Mito would have been winning rookie of the year. I know. So, um, heck, how do you go against Vegas? They like fireballs. I'm with Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We actually did not have any of the same ones. I'm going nope. goats. You're going aces. You're going, going fireballs going to, to win it all. To I win it all. I can't believe I'm going with Sergio. That's, <laughs> I, just, I don't even like him. But well, this week, right. I like Chikara. This week, before we get to the field, Mayakoba is another addition to live. It is not on the PGA Tour anymore. That means that. You know, you can't pick Victor Hovland this nah, week. No, no, no guaranteed winner this week on Live, uh, like like Victor Hovland was at Mayakoba on the PGA Tour. What are your guys' thoughts on uh, you know this being a Live tournament as opposed to a PGA Tour tournament? I think it's interesting. I just think it's a good course that we'll still get to see competitive golf on. Um, I know yep. one thing that we'll talk about the Honda Classic in a second, but there's been some discussions that maybe PJ National won't be able to host that tournament anymore for sponsorship reasons. So it's I, there's a lot of good courses that go around the PJ Tour schedule that sometimes get lost in the weeds. Like I remember uh, Tigers Tournament used to be a congressional country club every year. That's a great golf course. I went to it one time. Big How time. It? it was great, and it looked just like it did in the U.S. Open when Rory shot like two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so there's there, there's a lot of consequences that can come from like people think that oh well it's just not on the tour anymore. I, there's still a lot of courses that I want to see continue, and uh, whether it be in a, an elevated PJ Tour event or whether it be in a live tournament, I, I think it's a really good course. And I will say this, just from watching it over the past few years, Woody, 
you got to hit it straight out there. It's not the it's not the longest golf course in the world, but if you miss the fairways, you are. You ever played out there, Woody? I did not. I've never played at Maricopa, uh, but I've always amazed how low they shoot because it looks hard. I mean, it looks tight, it, it, and the wind always is blowing, always blowing. So, you know, this week you got to look at a guy that that can play in the wind. It's one think. of those courses where the fairways are pretty generous, kind of like a Karsten Creek ish. Right. You know, right. where if you miss the fairway, you are going to be in the jungle out yes. there. You yeah, know, that's what it looked like. You're either on grass or you're where the monkeys play. Yeah, I don't know. exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, guys, we have a great field. Obviously, this week, Abraham Answer is your big time favorite, uh, according to Data Golf. Has a nine point two percent chance to win. Joaquin Neal. Dustin Johnson, Paul Casey, Cam Smith, and Taylor Gooch round out your top six. Do you think the individual winner of this tournament comes out of those group of guys right there, T-Dub? The, the, the top six, you said? Is top that six. six. Abe Answer, Neiman, DJ, Paul Casey, Cam Smith, TG. Uh, I think that would probably be the safe bet. Maybe someone like Mito, who's just right out there. But, guy, we just we were talking about Brendan Steele. He's actually the eighth favorite, which is pretty interesting to me, ahead of guys like Louie and Henrik and Anabon Lahiri. But uh, I, I was pretty fascinated to see that uh, Abe Answer was such a big favorite. I know he played well at the Saudi International. But uh, and, and you do have Dustin Johnson's back injury, which no one really knows about. I think that's playing a lot into this. Joaquin Neiman, as you said, so yeah, I think I'd pick those top three. And Woody, one thing I'm looking out for is Cam Smith lit the world in absolute fire last year, and he's come out the, the even even when he played a little bit in Australia after he won down there, didn't play particularly well and then didn't play good in Saudi. I expect to see what he sees this year because uh, he, he we're going to talk about the Players Championship in the next couple of weeks. He's the defending champion there, so I mean he had an absolute stellar year last year, and uh, be interested to see if he can keep that going or if that was just maybe just a, a hot putter year. Who knows that. that, that. This, this Mayakopa is going to be really interesting to me, guys, because when we look at this tournament, we need to look at some of the guys that have had been playing a little bit. I mean, if, if I think you got to kind of pick a favorite. You know that. a little, for instance, you know what you're going to get from answer a little bit more than right. Cam Smith. Exactly, and that, that's what I'm saying. They, they, it's not like these live guys, this is the first tournament they've ever played this year. I mean, they've been – the ones yeah. that have been out playing a little bit, I think they've got a little bit of advantage of the guys that haven't been playing is what I'm going to say. Where a, a Dustin Johnson, a Phil Mickelson, a, a guy Brooks like Kepka. Bruce Kepka, yep. these guys haven't been playing. And after watching that Netflix show, uh, Brooks Kepka's got a, a, a lot of demons he's got to get through. So um, What that show didn't show, by the way, was him winning in Saudi Arabia, by no, the way. And, and so he did figure some things out golf-wise at the end of last season. Without a doubt. And, and I think what, what people realize if you watch that series, golfers, if you don't think they care, if you don't think they get eaten up with it, you're nuts. I mean, it can be the greatest game in the world when you're on roll, and it can be evil. When you're struggling, and and what we got a chance to see, which kudos for that series, is how deep in a hole a guy can get. How just frustrated he can get with everything that he was doing, that seemed so simple at back then. Now he can't do any of it. So I was, I, I really enjoyed that part of it. I really did because I don't think people realize how hard golfers really work. No doubt about it, Woody. Great points. And as we talked about the data golf favorites, which is analytics, okay? Let's talk about the Vegas favorites this week. Dustin Johnson, Joaquin Neiman, Cam Smith are your top three favorites, then Abe Answer. So it, it 
apparently, according to Data Golf, if you look in the analytics, you can get some big time value betting on Abe Answer at plus eleven hundred this week. Um, you know, considering he has an almost ten percent chance to win this golf tournament. Guys like Sergio Garcia, Peters, Reed, Gooch, Wolf, Mito, Brooks Kepka after that. Um, do you guys think that there are any other guys that you know you may be able to find some value with? I think that betting on Brooks Kepka plus 2700 I would throw 10 bucks on that, T-Dub. Yeah. <laughs> 10 bucks to yeah. win 270 Yeah, one of the problems is that Kepka at the start of this year really hasn't been playing very well, though. I mean, let me get it pulled up right here. He played over in the, the he played in the Saudi International, finished forty six, and then played another Asian Tour event over in Oman and missed the cut over there. Lost three point, lost three strokes to the field. uh, You got to remember, he thrives off of motivation, though. He might be a little more motivated for a first live event than the Asian Tour event in Oman. (laughs) Well, that's a good point. He always had that problem with the PGA Tour, but it's just you you can definitely get some value there, and he could come up at any moment. So. that wouldn't be a horrible pick. Matt Wolf's pretty low here on the on the analytics, yeah. so his, his odds probably wouldn't be that high. Uh, someone who's way down on here is Bryson. That's someone who I would not pick. With the, I mean, his, I, and let's talk about him for a second because we talk a lot about the the top players on the PGA Tour versus the top players on Live, and we'll get to that and how I think they can coexist in a second. But just talking about the top players on Live, I mean, we always talk about the answers, the DJs, the Cam Smith, the Gooches. To me, I think that Bryson is a name that is getting left out, and I keep thinking eventually he'll get back to what he was, but is his body failing him, T-Dub? I think that it might be failing him. Well, he, he did show a little bit of form at the in the in around the Open Championship. He finished eighth at that tournament, and then he finished fairly decently in a couple of live events. His, his best finish was eighth, so, I mean, he didn't really ever contend at any point, but there was a little bit of promise shown. So, I, he, he's so talented. Everyone knows him for, for bulking up, but he was the U.S. Amateur Champion or NCAA Champion before even the, any of that happened. So, I and mean, he was it, also, during that hot stretch on the PGA Tour when he won at Wingfoot, the reason why he's winning those golf tournaments was because of the putter. Uh, yeah, uh, without a doubt. But we 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 questioned way back when he was doing all this stuff to build this speed and, and then got into the long driving thing. Is that going to be good for his game? We all wondered. Well, I think it's pretty obvious it wasn't. <laughs> it, it did not. It paid a dividend early on with the win at Wingfoot. It did do it then, and and there early in his build-up career, but it hadn't lasted. And so, and now we're wondering: Is there injuries? And and that's what the difference between golf and other sports is. There really isn't an injury report. We never know until the guy goes, "Hey, I can't play." Like yeah. Dustin Johnson, you know. Had to withdraw and so exactly, and we didn't have any clue he was suffering anything. So we don't know. Uh, I, I don't look. Deschambeau, he's got a lot to show me. I, I'm I'm just kind of I'm down the road with the Bryson. If if he's going to come back, he's got to prove it to me. Well, guys, I think it's time to make our picks for the first live event of the season. Woody, you get the honors. Uh, we will let you go first. We will let you go first with the team and with the individual because of, you know, the, the miss, misfires last year. Go individual well, first. Well, I think you got to look for a guy that can play in the wind. Um, that, that's, that's something I look at right off the bat. And right off the bat, we got some Okies. Uh, Chikara, we got Wolf. 
We got Gooch. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I haven't seen Taylor really playing much yet, so I don't know how sharp he will be. Um, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to surprise you guys. I'm going to go with Chikara. Well, that's fairly good, fairly off the wall pick there, Woody, but uh, could definitely show out. I'm going to go with Joaquin Neiman, his second favorite analytically, right behind Abe Answer. But in the two uh, international or two Asian events that he played in, finished tenth over in Saudi and finished fifth in Oman, so has a little bit of good form showing this year. And you mentioned someone who can play good in the wind, Woody. He has a great ball flight uh, to play out there, hits it really straight off of the tee. So I'm really happy with my Joaquin Neiman picks here. I like that Joaquin Neiman pick, guys. I'm going with Abe Answer. He wow. won in Saudi Arabia. I think that sometimes you just don't overthink it. He has a 9.2% chance to win this golf tournament playing in his home country. Give me Abe Answer to win at Mayakoba. Well, how about this, guys? If you would have said at the end of last live event that we would have had the first live event, 2023, and none of us would have picked DJ or Cam Smith, <laughs> that's, point. that's a good point. That's a good point. That is I mean, a really the, good point. What is yeah. the odds that that would have happened? Well, with us, it's really good. <laughs> well, and I think you, so have, you have better odds that that would happen at the first event when we hadn't seen yeah, Cam or yeah, DJ very yeah, much recently. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's a good point. So, so this basically means that DJ and Cam are going to finish 1-2 in the tournament. Well, <laughs> That's and, probably right. And, and it basically means that they're getting uh, – their fields are getting better. They're getting deeper. They're, they're, there's, there's no more, doubt about there's, that. There's more to pick from. Uh, I mean, it was uh, – those guys at first off, especially DJ, dominant, 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 dominant. I'm still wanting to get Taylor on our show to figure out why he left four aces. Because doggone it, I, I think it was because uh, I think a Harold lot of Varner. it had to do with Harold Varner and their yeah, friendship. They're and real friends. Okay. Well, that when they first talked about going to live, that uh, you know they would enjoy playing together. I think is. Yeah, I, I think is all I can say about that. That's a pretty good paycheck to just walk away from because would they make They the have a pretty good one? team, but though. The team's good. Oh, their team's real Getting good. Getting Thomas Peters was big. He wasn't going to leave if they weren't going to have a big-time team. Well, and, and, and good for his choice there. But, boy, I, if I had an ATM machine like he had last year, I'm proud of him for walking away, but that gum. That extra $4 million is big time for the team win, right, Woody? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and how many team wins did they have? I mean, a bunch. We like, could look what, it up. Four or so, something like that? Yeah, something I, like that. There was a couple of times the where they seemed like, the only, it all. seemed like the only time they lost Woody is when you picked them. Probably. <laughs> That's, that hey, sounds hey, right. Hey, hey, can I say on the podcast, TW, take a big fat one. <laughs> I will let you say that one. I've heard a lot worse. But, but to, just to your point, Sam, about – and both y'all's points, really, about how the fields are getting deeper. Here's just some names that are in the bottom half analytically that have – that are – the bottom half of this field that, that people will say, oh, they're just a bunch of Asian tour players or something like that. Let's look at a new guy, Danny Lee, who they just brought over. Ian Poulter, Dean Burmester, who's another guy that brought over, is playing really good on PGA and DP World Tour. Lee Westwood, Graham McDowell, Carlos Ortiz, Cameron Chingali, Pat Perez, Sam Horfield, Matt Wolf's even down there. Chikar's down there. Kepka. This is the bottom of the field. We're not yeah. even talking this about the, the top of the field. We're not even talking about the Louis Tazins or the, you know, Thomas Peters or Sergio's or even Patrick Reed or Kokrak. You're right. This field is absolutely loaded. I'm not saying that it's a PGA Tour elevated event yet, but I do think it's very comparable. I think that the only guys that really tip the scales, if you actually look at the D, say you have DJ Reed and Cam Smith, I mean, those guys have more majors combined than the top, than Rom. 
Scheffler and, oh, and, yeah. and Rory in the last eight years. Yeah. I mean, think about that. And that's that's talking historically, but then you add in the fact that certain guys like Abe Anser have great recent form. I, I don't think it's out of the question that the PGA Tour, I would say, is probably 60-40 right now ahead of Liv, but it's very comparable. Well, and, and just to add some other players here, Peter Uline, a guy who was playing really well at the end of last year. and who's Which now a on- lot of people discredited because of – you know, it being on live. Well, and he's on the four aces now, and he is, let me see here, 42nd out of 48 players analytically with a chance to win. Charles Swartzel, who won the first live event, is 39th. Bryson's 37th. Martin Keimer, 38th. Matt Jones, who who actually is the defending champion, or no, not the defending champion, won the Honda Classic, I believe, two years ago. Right. He's in, like, 38th place. So, I mean, it's yep. just, it goes to show that it's not like it was at the start of the live events last year where it was a lot of Asian Tour players, a lot of guys that people had never heard of. The, these guys at the bottom, they're either pretty good players or they've been really good players like Martin Keimer was number one in the world at a point in time. Woody. Guys, I mean, look, we spent the last two weeks covering the PGA Tour. Why? Because it was the best event that week. Without this doubt. week, without a doubt, the best tournament is this live event in Mayakoba compared to the Honda Classic. It will, we'll read the names off when we do our Honda preview here in a second. But my point, T-Dub, is that these tours can coexist. The PGA Tour just had two awesome tournaments at the Waste Management and at Riviera. Why do we just all of a sudden discredit live right before Mayakoba when they have a great field, especially at the top? They have an amazing field of the top 10 guys. And then you you just mentioned the fact that the middle and bottom of the field is light years ahead of what it was at the start of last year. Yeah, I would be interested to see how many world ranking points this event would get, even even if they did have it. And uh, it just goes to show that, that the – Yes, the, this field is so much better than the Honda Classic. It's really not even funny. Just because the Honda Classic has 140 players in it doesn't make it a better field. Just look at the, the top of the field versus the ones that aren't. And uh, this is, I don't know. Johnny if, Vegas is your fourth favorite, the Honda Classic. There you go. Let's just and, call it how it is. And yeah. I've been saying this ever since all this happened. These two tours can coexist. There does not need to be a merger that needs to happen. This is, in my opinion, the best thing that could happen for golf because you're going to have the elevated events where you have good players, and then the off weeks where you have a Honda Classic where no one's really going to care about. In all honesty, anyone who really cares about golf will watch the Honda Classic mainly for the course because the course is one of the hardest that they play on the PGA Tour. But if you actually just want to watch the players, you, you got to go to This my- is great for golf fans. It's awesome. You get elevated events every week because that's what Liv is, and that's what the PGA Tour is putting forth because of what Liv did. Now they're making players play in all of these elevated events, so you get big-time fields there. You obviously, the the tournaments are mandatory for the Liv players, so you're going to get big-time fields every single time the Liv guys tee it up. What's the problem? Well, here's the deal, guys, is is we're started off right off the bat. We're – we're excited about live, and most people aren't. And and the PGA Tour is still looks at them just short of Russia. They don't like them. They they don't want them around. They don't want to coexist. They don't want to be family. They do not want anything to do with this organization. So they are not going to change their course. Trust me, this is going to keep going ugly. It's like Hank Haney tweeted back at me when I said that these tours can coexist. I was proving a point that just because the PGA Tour last two weeks had great events doesn't mean that I 
I hate live and can't follow live or if if I'm a big live fan doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the golf of the last two weeks. I said that these two tours can coexist and Hank Haney tweeted back at me, Tiger's former coach, and said, you aren't allowed to think like that because you will get roasted nowadays. Right. Like, <laughs> that's right. right. Because I'm not allowed to think that both things are great. No, no. You. That's how it is. And, and it's one side that's making everybody think like that. Most definitely. They they are on their PR bandwagon again. They've been pretty quiet because there was no tournaments. There was nothing to pull our attention away. And where you got to give Liv credit, they are always going up against their unelevated PGA event, which is obviously (laughs) why in the world would you, why would you want to go against an elevated PGA event or a major or something stupid like that? That's why the live guys are trying to say, Hey, we can have another product. Gentlemen, you're right on. You're spot on. Um, Golf has always been 72 holes, walk, carry your bag, caddy, no shorts, no, no. Well, times are changing. If we're changing everything else in this world, why can't we have two different organizations? And, and Tita, my question to you is just because the PGA Tour has better fields at their elevated events doesn't mean that all of a sudden Liv's field becomes bad. I think that that's a misconception in a lot of golf fans' minds. Well, and one thing that needs to be stated is that, yes, the PGA Tour did add these elevated events this year, but that's all, they've always been the case, right, Woody? Even when you were out on tour, there was always tournaments that garnered better players in it than others. It's just now that it's official that you have to play it, which is kind of funny, which is yeah. one of the things the PGA Tour rip live for is that you have to play all the events, but instead they say, oh, well, you can miss one and still get your money. Like, is there really that big of a damn difference there? But, uh, but yeah, there's uh, – it's interesting because I need to go through and I need to look at the exact schedule to see where Liv decided to go against the other ones because this time is a really good uh, time to do it. Let's see, March 19th will be the uh, – March 17th and 19th is, is the next one, and that is the same week as the Valspar, so that's probably a good time to do it. Then the one after that is in Orlando and March 31st, which is the uh, the week this week before the Masters, the Valero Texas Open. Right. So once again, they've done it pretty well. Uh, let's go through here. April 21st is the one in Australia, which I had heard some things that that tournament is sold out now. Sold out. They sold already out. sold wow. all 60,000 tickets. They. I actually read an article that they were thinking about uh, thinking about like adding more tickets if the if the places can do it capacity wise. Then then here's the next. But lift. no one cares. That that yeah. one in Australia is the same week as the Zurich Classic, which is the uh, the team competition. Then they have another live the week after that in Singapore, and that's the same week as the Mexico Open. Once again, not another elevated event. The one in Cedar Ridge in our backyard is May 12th through the 14th. That's the same week as the Byron Nelson. So, once again, not an elevated event. Nope. The one in, in Trump, Washington, D.C. is May 26th. That's the same week as the Charles Schwab Colonial. Once again, not an elevated event. At least I don't believe so. And then the one after that is uh, the next one is in June 30th through July 2nd. That's at Valderrama. I'm really excited for that tournament. That's the same week as the Rocket Mortgage. Once again, not a very big deal. Uh, next one, July 7th through the 9th. That one is the same week as the John Deere. Oh, my. I can't have a tournament the same week as the John <laughs> Deere Classic. I mean, that's just going to be excruciating. Then we have a few more here. The next one is in August. That one takes the same place as the Wyndham, which is the week before the, uh, the FedEx Cup starts. And then the next two after that, they do have one that is the first week of the uh, the, the PJ Tour playoffs, the FedEx St. Jude Classic. So that oh, is really okay. the first event 
that they have that coincides. Then the next two, uh, then all the other remaining live events, there's three of them, take place after the two, official 2003 PGA Tour schedule. We don't even know so, when those tournaments will have. So our point is proven that yeah. these tours can coexist. And well, then the biggest players from each tour meet in the major championships, and golf fans get to watch – Whatever product they want to watch, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to watch both because yeah. it's awesome golf, it's golf. And on both tours, but you get to watch literally elevated events every single week. Be careful with this too, guys. The PGA Tour might cut their nose off spite their face because what you might end up doing because these elevated events are so special to watch. You it makes people care less about exactly. tournaments like the Honda Classic. You've got to be careful and in a way i don't think they're worried about being careful because i think that's their plan well they're not worried about along. they're not no. worried about the fans they're worried about keeping these big names that's and exactly how to get right. those big names Let more money but the future the future gentlemen will be i think the pga tour will have about 80 guys that are elevated everybody else will be corn fairy okay and their fields will become smaller just like what Liv is doing. Well, the thing they're going to have to watch out for is what's happening potentially at the Honda Classic of losing sponsorships for these non these non elevated events. Exactly. They're going to they're going to have to rotate the schedule, right, Woody, to get some wow. of these other tournaments down there. It has to be you you, you can't go into a sponsor and say, hey, we're going to have all these elevated events with every good player here because the other players aren't playing those other elevated events. And to the point I was trying to make earlier of you, you add up all the events that we just talked about. With the exception of the FedEx playoffs, which is the first one that really coincides with a big tournament, and maybe maybe Charles Schwab or AT&T Byron Nelson just because they're right around a major and those courses generally get some fairly good players. Besides those fields, I think every week that there's a Live PJ Tournament, the Live field will be better, right, Woody? I, I, it's it's starting to show that, and we're just this first one, okay? But I, I just firmly believe sometime when you're working on making a product so much better, there's casualties involved in it. And that, for years, the PGA Tour has been the only dog in town. That's why you could have 156-man fields. You could load up 125 exempt players. Well, that, that, that formula doesn't seem to work this in the future, guys. It's just not going to work. When you also throw in what we talked about just briefly with Tiger and Roy starting this little night times on Mondays at this facility, it, it, guys, it, it's going all towards those big names in golf. If you go to an NBA game, what do you want to watch? The best. The names. The it's names. not about the teams. If you, you watch NFL football, you want to watch the names, okay? Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's why F1 became so popular in this country here recently because they did the right way to promote it. They got us our names. They told us who to watch. F1 might be getting more popular than NASCAR. Now, can you imagine us ever saying that? It's crazy. It, it can happen. With the right types of media moving the right direction, the right formula, hey, but there's going to be casualties. No. Trust me. No doubt about it. And we bring up great points, and I think that, you know, T-Dub's point that every single week that Liv plays, it will have a better field than the opposite PGA Tour event opposite of it, right? That, that, that so, would be my that would so be my, my point, assumption just based on where the the past history too of where these venues have been. The, the other players aren't going to come play these that hadn't played them in the past, especially exactly. now. Exactly. So my point is that the PGA Tour 
is obviously going to have the best product when they have their elevated events, and Liv's going to have the best product whenever they have their events. There you go. And we all get to watch it on different weeks, which is awesome for golf fans. My point here, and all of us agree, that these tours can coexist. T-Dub, you've been saying it since the beginning. Uh, and the, one of the biggest things, too, is that people who say that this hurts the game of golf, okay, or Liv does, okay, so what? The opposite would be you take all the, the guys on Liv and you put them in one of these elevated events. Did we need Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith last week to make it a good golf tournament? I mean, you had John Rahm, Max Homa. You're going to have great players up there anyway. It's like you add a handful more good players, it doesn't make it that much better. I'd rather have it more dispersed out to where you have a select group of really high players each week as opposed to having them all accumulated and only play 15 times a year. And it makes the majors that much more special. No doubt, because then you bring them both into the field. And that's that's what you really look for. It's like when you're in high school and the, there was one kid – got the best car he had the he had the nicest car and when he drove it to school everybody looked at it but you know what's funny your car might not have been all that but you went to the same school drove down the same road you were okay with it you got point a to point b the same way yeah so at some point we got to quit acting like these guys are so special and these guys aren't because they're Saudi back. And that's by the cool. way, I mean, the, cool. the major championships are going to let these live guys play. And they if we to. ever get to the point where certain guys like a Taylor Gooch are pushed out of major championships, they're going to change the rules. We heard what the, the head of the RNA said this week. He goes unequivocally that the live guys are going to be in the open championship. Why? Because this is the pinnacle of golf. Right. And we have to have... Those players, guys, we could go on and on, but I do have to get a team pick for this week as well. Woody, go ahead with your team pick for Mayakoba. Well, now I'm going to cover myself because I went way out on that limb with Chikara, guys. That's a big limb. That's a Hayden Buckley-sized limb. That's a Hayden Buckley-sized limb, and that's only because of that OSU. I got to go with an OSU guy. He did win last year. I wanted to go with Gooch, but I thought, no, shoot, no, I'll go with somebody different. Um, I'm going to go with Joaquin Team Torque. To win the team event this week. Okay. Team team Torque, that's Joaquin Neiman, Sebastian Munoz, a new guy on live this year. Yep. Uh, Mito Pereira and David Pouge, who, yep. you know, obviously had a little bit of experience with live, but he's a young guy coming out of Arizona State. Without a doubt. Well, I'm going to go with one of your and your individual picks, guys. Give me the fireballs. Give me Sergio, uh, yep. Abe Answer, yeah. Carlos Ortiz, and Chikara. I think that when you add up all those players' games, I feel like they've Collectively, all their games suit Mayakoba the best. So I think that they'll uh, – uh, th- they may not necessarily win the tournament, but I think they'll definitely be in the top three at the podium. T-Dub forcing me to hedge my bets because I was going to go all in on the fireballs this week. I like the fireballs to win it, but I can't pick them, which means I'm going with the range goats. Uh-huh. Give me Bubba's squad with Taylor Gooch, Varner, and Thomas Peters. Not picking that team because of Bubba. Don't know what I'm going to get out of Bubba. But at the same time, he has three guys that can absolutely golf their ball. Um, Guys, speaking of how you can watch this tournament, Liv signed their big deal with the CW. We're going to see how it works for the first time on Friday. You will have to catch it on the CW app. And then on Saturday and Sunday, you can watch it on whatever channel the CW is on your specific cable or YouTube TV or whatever. Um, But like I said, uh, the CW app, it will be live streaming 
absolutely free with no login, no subscription or credit card. Just simply install the free app on your preferred device and tune in on the CW app like you watch All American. That was on the CW app, but everyone called it one of the most popular shows. But now that lives on there, it's just the CW and, and, you know, whatever. So, guys, then we get live on TV. I'm excited because I do think it's going to bring more fans in. Uh, maybe someone just watching TV wanting to see what it's all about. It, it very well could. I am a little disappointed. I, I'm going to miss the YouTube aspect. I'm going to miss the commercial-free aspect of it. But it's all it's all a consequence of the things that will happen. So as long as going to CW doesn't tarnish what was already in place, Woody, I think it's going to be good because you need the more fans and you need the revenue to actually start making some money. They had to officially say last week or two weeks ago in the in the court, ruling that uh, they didn't make any revenue last year which uh, oh, no. if you're trying to have a if you're trying to have a business you got you got to start making some revenue at some point so uh, th- this is something that needed to happen but maybe from a viewership perspective it, it may go down maybe a notch or two just based off what it was last year it could but it might might surprise all of us might might bring it up so but but you know everybody's always said how long will they go not making any money well we're one year in let's see what happens in year two and if Year two, they lose money. Uh, let's see if they go for year three. They did get their first sponsor, Easy Post, which is a shipping and logistics company. Okay. And so, I mean, that's one. And now they got to keep getting more sponsors, no uh, doubt about it. Otherwise, help. this is not, you know, going to be a profitable and profitable endeavor. Um, speaking to those same lines, Dustin Johnson parted ways with Adidas over this oh, past week, and he that. is going Sergio to wear. Yeah, and he is going to wear his. Ace's hat, and because he wants, in his mind, to treat this like, you know, an organization, you know, and he is part owner in the four aces, or the aces as they're called now, and so he wants to promote that brand, which is, he's kind of betting on himself, but... He has the, you know, kind of security blanket of the guaranteed money to be able to do that, and what's there to lose? I mean, he's already you know, done this for years with Adidas. I mean, what's there to lose with, you know, taking a shot at growing your team's brand? I think it's smart, and I think you'll start once Liv kind of picks up some steam this year, especially after the Masters. Say a couple Liv guys play good in the Masters, and that Dustin Johnson four aces had is getting all that exposure. You can't tell me that there's a lot of golf fans out there that aren't going to go buy some four aces gear. I feel like that him promoting that team's brand could be a good idea, even though it's a little bit risky, T-Dub. It it could be. I I think that Dustin Johnson, I don't think he's necessarily need to worry about the the advertising dollars. At at this point, I I will say this. It is a money decision, though. 100% it is. And I'm not going to have a problem if he wears the the, the team logo hat at really any tournament, even a major. I'm not going to have a problem with it. What I have a problem with, Woody, is like what Patrick Reed was doing at the – when it was over in Dubai, and he's wearing the live hat when he's on the deep – on another tour. I have a problem with that. Like, I don't care if you wear the team logo, even if it is, but if you're playing in another event, like, like you don't see guys wearing a PJ Tour logo when they play DP And the reason why he was doing that was because last year – that was not the first year of live. That was like a a test run, a beta run. These teams, the the major or the mi- minority ownership, like that Dustin Johnson had in the four aces has in the four aces this year, he did not have last year. No, so the no. team aspect is truly starting this year, as far as the organizations being an actual organization like the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, and the and for like Patrick Reed and his con- and a lot of the contracts, they say you're supposed to. Sub- 
promote Liv when you can, well, which is yeah, one of the reasons but, for that. But too. my point teed up to, to end that would be that he would probably wear an Aces hat now. Well, that, that, now that, that that's, what, that's exactly what I was just saying. Yeah. That's fine, but don't be wearing a, another Tours logo. I agree with you on that. And and I think if you, when we talk about Patrick Reed, let's not be surprised at anything. And and the other thing that we talk about with, with Dustin Johnson, uh, let's not forget who his father-in-law is. The GOAT, probably Wayne the, Gretzky. Probably the greatest yeah. hockey player to ever play the game. And if you think he isn't in that boy's ear, you can think again. And, and I can't imagine a better father-in-law than Wayne Gretzky to be able to bounce some of this stuff off of. Because I, I guarantee you, he knows a little something about marketing, guys. You would think so. Made a lot of money over his time. No <laughs> doubt about it. Pretty good guy to bend his ear. No doubt about it, guys. It's going to be a great season on Live. I know, I, to me, <laughs> last year we were saying, oh, are, are some of these arguments or petty arguments going to die down? No. No. But I think that the golf fan will realize that these tours can coexist and that they will enjoy both products when they watch it, T-Dub. 100%. All you got to do is watch it, and especially, like I just alluded to earlier, the timing of everything. You can you can enjoy both tours. You can enjoy golf. You don't have to pick PGA Tour or live. You can just enjoy the sport, Sam, and that's yep. what people have lost over this past year. No doubt about it, guys. Uh, speaking of the PGA Tour event this week, we do have the Paul Azinger Classic, which is the Honda Classic at PGA National. Woody, to start this off, have you ever played PGA National? And it's an absolute bear, pardon the pun. It is. It is. I uh, I played a PGA there in 1987, which was just brutal. It was in the first part of August. And let me tell you something. Florida in August, man, that's like a, a, the worst thing. Our <laughs> pit of the universe. I, I mean, I'm sorry any of your Floridians out there, but it, it really is hot. And that golf course is really hard. Those finishing holes are are. Is that the just, toughest finish in golf? Oh, I if it's not, I don't know where it is. I really don't because there is not an easy one. There is not an easy hole on that almost that whole back nine. But for sure, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you don't get a break. 18 might be the only break you get where you think you can make a birdie. Uh, those other holes, you're just holding on really tight to your shoelaces and just trying to get through without making something really bad happen. So I think it's day in, day out. It, it's one of those golf courses that is hard, just hard. No doubt about it. I mean, it's one of the hardest courses every single year, T-Dub, as far as the field goes. Sung J.M. is your overwhelming favorite on data golf analytically, Have has a 7.8% chance to win. Alex Noren, Aaron Wise, Jonathan Vegas, and Minwoo Lee round out your top five. Uh, does the winner come out of that great group of players right there? Uh, I would assume probably not, just with the, the amount of the openness that is in this field. I guess that's probably a proper way to phrase it. It's not a very strong field by any stretch of the imagination. And you know what? We're used to having what we've seen the last couple of weeks. So, But we'll, we'll see other good events on live. I will say something about this course to Woody's point about how tough it is. It is still uh, statistically the hardest shot for iron or the hardest course for iron shots is the hardest for approach to green. So that is definitely something to look out for. And the amount of water that is on the course, Sam, I think that's something that really comes into it because you, you can make a double on almost any single hole out there without even just turning your head around. So there's a lot of ups and downs that come from this, a lot of patience. 
I believe I looked it up uh, just the other day. There's only been three times in the last, I think, ten years that someone has finished double digits under par in this tournament. So, you know, you don't see that at very many courses. Not only do you have to deal with the tough course, but generally the wind blows a lot down there as well. So, a lot of tough tests down there. And when you don't have the likes of a John Rahm or Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler there to potentially go out and shoot a really low score. Sung Jae is a great player and does have the opportunity, but uh, definitely just not, not as deep as what we're used to. I agree with you on that. And it's tough to really find a player that's playing in this golf tournament that's really on hot recent form. We've had two elevated events, and a lot of guys are playing in this event that didn't get into those elevated events. And so that's a lot of the second half of the field. One guy that I'm going to pick for the one and done this week does have some decent recent form, and he has you know played well at the Honda Classic as well. That's Shane Lowry. He finished second at the Honda Classic last year um, in 2022, and he finished tied for 14th last week at Riviera. Hit the ball great. He gained almost a full shot off the tee and over half a shot strokes gained approach. Didn't putt very well and hasn't been putting very well in this 2023 season, but he did finish tied for 14th and he finished second here last year. That's why I'm going with him in the one and done this week, T Dub. Stole my pick, Sam. Well, I don't necessarily Stole know. Stole my pick. Uh, I, oh, no. So there's no chance. <laughs> no chance for I, I, Shane Lowry I will this say, week. I, I may have been the first on the Shane Lowry bandwagon because I did have him last year at this tournament where he did finish second. It was by far my highest finish in, in the one and done last year. It was absolutely abysmal season. Hopefully he can start getting a little bit of spark here. But but Sam makes a lot of good points. And one thing, I look at it here, too. He finished second last year, gained almost a full shot on the greens and has in his five appearances here has not missed the cuts, gained shots off the tee four out of five rounds and hadn't had didn't have really good form leading up till last week, but the fourteenth finish shows a little bit of promise because he finished fourteenth and didn't gain any shots on the green woody. So everything else in his game goes well. Maybe he can get on some greens that he knows and uh, have a little bit better finish. Well my my pick is kind of a selfish pick because I don't like him. That means if I pick him, he'll suck. <laughs> Shane that, Lowry. That Why don't you like Billy Shane Lowry? Oh, no. oh, you're oh, not Billy, picking Shane Lowry. I'm not picking Shane. Okay. I'm going with Billy Horschel <laughs> because I don't like him. And that hopefully I don't will think, give him the black cloud this week. It'll shoot a million. He'll be out. I don't think you're alone. Well, you talk about someone who's been on some bad form, though, Woody. He has not been playing very well. Oh, that's breaking my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go home and have a beer after this just because. Oh. I will say to, to your point, though, Woody, his six, last six times he's played here, he's made the cut five out of six of those, and four of those he was in the top 16. So, See, I don't of course care about – I don't – that ain't going nothing to me. I don't like him. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you feel better about your pick, Woody. <laughs> I don't like – I don't want my pick to be any good this week. <laughs> So I'm making you feel worse, basically. Well, yeah, now you're making me think I got a chance. Well, the, the four times he played before that, he had missed the cut three out of four and finished 46. Does that I make feel you feel better? better? That makes me there feel a go. lot better. I just, I think his pants, his clothing, I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of guys agree with you on that, Woody. Uh, T-Dub, give, give us your DraftKings lineup for us. So DraftKings, uh, with the not very strong strength of field, you have to go a little bit bottom of the barrel sometimes to get – a lineup. My cheapest guy, 6,800, going with Pearson Cootie, a guy who you think will just break out at any point. Pretty interesting start to his Corn Ferry uh, season this year. He, he has one win and three missed cuts, so he is a boom or bust potential. Wow. Hopefully a little bit of boom uh, to start his PGA Tour season. My next pick, another OSU guy. Give me uh, Sam Stevens, who's been playing pretty well at 7,000. He's made the cut in his last three PJ Tour events. He actually had a 13th out at Torrey Pines and a 34th 
at, at Pebble Beach, so I expect him to keep some good trend. He's a really solid player with everything I've seen. He just absolutely crushes the ball. Expect that to keep going. Another pick, guy who played at Alabama, who I think is going to keep having a pretty solid career, that's Robbie Shelton. He has made his last three cuts on the PJ Tour, and he finished 11th here in 2020. Just needs to find it with the putter a little bit. 100%. Yeah, it's uh, his last four events, and which is pretty ironic, is that he has lost strokes gain on the greens in all of those, but yet still has made the cut all the time. So his iron play, and really around the greens, his chipping has been really good as well. So that uh, and and I, I really like Robbie Shelton. I think he has a good swing. Doesn't really hit the ball particularly far, but uh, gets gets away with it in other areas. Then I'm going to go up to uh, 8200 Sam, guy who I picked pretty much every week for in the year of 2021. Guy who played with Tiger Woods last week, who carried a little bit of momentum. Christian Bezatenhut, uh finished 58. C. Le- Bezel. C. Bezel finished 58th at the Genesis, and then missed the cut the week before at Phoenix. But before that, did finish 11th at the uh, at the American Express, the old Bob Hope, and then his only appearance here at the Honda. Finished 25th last year, so hopefully he can keep. Going there, they're the most too expensive, Sam. You kind of talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. Minwoo Lee at 9400 I think, is a really good value play. Going all the way back on the on the DP World Tour, he has not finished worse than 13th going all the way back to September. So, I mean, he has just been playing absolutely stellar, and if he can get that carried across the pond, he'll do good. Then my most expensive at 10700 Sung J.M. It's, uh, it's very rare, Sam, that on Data Golf there's someone who is the analytical favorite, but he's also the most valuable play as well. So that, that shows how much of a favorite he is, so that's one of the reasons I had to load up on him. No doubt about it. Me being a golf nerd, I'm interested to see how this field – handles the, the, the bear trap. I mean, it's it's freaking unbelievable, right? I mean, yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see guys that haven't necessarily been just on a hot stretch like a John Rahm or a Scotty Scheffler at the end of this golf tournament trying to maybe win for the first time. Got to be shaking in your boots coming down the stretch there. It's going to be really interesting to see, right, guys? Yeah, especially on those – what we talked about with Rahm and Homer the last two wins, the par threes came to be a big deal. And the two oh. par threes on the back nine are in the bear trap, right, Woody? 15 and oh. 17, just excruciating holes, especially with the wind blows. Brutal. Brutal. I mean, it – I'm telling you, I'm I, that PGA I played there. I told you guys this. I made 18 birdies and an eagle and shot 12 over for the tournament. <laughs> I'm, I'm 20 under, guys, with 52 holes left, and I got to finish at 12 over. Wow! So what? You think you can't make a number there? You're nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. That's a roller coaster tournament right there. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I eagled 18 on Friday to make the cut on the number. And I'm thinking I'm happy as a clam. And I really was. But then, geez, those next two days were a feast or famine. You lose a few golf balls? Oh, Lord. I couldn't. I I mean, I lost golf balls. I had my. My brother had a jaw crash that was so bad he could hardly walk. <laughs> it was a brutal week, I'm telling you. I was worn slick when I was done. I can guarantee you that. All right, Woody, I got to hold you to the fire. You said you you promised our listeners that you were going to give us a great Riviera story. Oh, Lord, I thought we'd forgotten about that. So okay. to end the show, now by the way, while, while you're oh. thinking about that story, I mentioned that the Open Championship and Martin Slumbers came out and said that they would allow live guys in. Twelve guys have already qualified. Then yeah. they can also qualify with two Asian Tour events later in the season. Uh, Woody, so as far as Riviera's stories go, story time with Woody to end the show here at Jimmy Austin. Well, this is one I'm not proud of. Let me just preference it right off the bat. Every good but, story starts with yeah, that. But it did happen, and I'm not afraid to mention it. Um 
the Monday of that week, we used to play pro-am sometimes where you could get cash money, make $500 if we played on a Monday with some some sponsors and some people. You know how that deal works. And so we had that scheduled for Riviera on that Monday. It rained, and it rained, and it rained. So they had to call the, the Monday. They, but they came in and gave us 500 bucks. So there's 10, 12 of us sitting around going, we're rich. We got $500. <laughs> About that time, the guy that was on tour at that time with – we had a, a shaft out there called Loomis Shafts, and there were reps that would follow you, and this guy's name was Burl Outlaw. Now, that's pulling one out of my pavani because that's hard to remember, but his name was Burl Outlaw. <laughs> what a he, name. And he looked like a Burl Outlaw, had a beard and was just a wild guy. And he said, boys, I'll tell you what let's do. He said, you guys got all this cash. Let's go to a gentleman's club in L.A., and uh, I'll pay for all the <laughs> drinks, and you guys take care of all the girls. Well, now it's 12 o'clock. <laughs> It's a noon, gentlemen. <laughs> on and a Monday. On a Monday. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> when did they open? And and this was long before you could Google it. So some guy found somebody in the locker room and said, yeah, there's a place downtown. Go there. So <laughs> now we take off in four. Are there any big names with you, Payne Stewart? No, I can't really. There were some guys I can't remember exactly who, and I wouldn't roll anybody but me. To be honest with you, I got to keep this as just my dummy that did this. So, but we were in courtesy cars, guys. This is not the smartest thing. We're all driving <laughs> Nissan courtesy cars. So LA we, Open, LA Open Ooh. Nissan courtesy cars. So we we find this place and roll in there about two in the afternoon. Long story short, by the time we left at midnight, the 12 of us with $500 had nothing. Burl Outlaw's bill was almost (laughs) (laughs) $8,000. We not only went through our $500, we got out to the valet, and we didn't even have any money to give him to get our cars back. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So we're going, hey, this is a problem. These are not our cars. (laughs) How do you feel about golf? Uh, Would you like some tickets to the golf tournament? The guy's looking at us like, are you guys shooting me? I mean, you go, what is wrong with you idiots? And I, and and to say that we might have been a tad bit intoxicated <laughs> even makes it worse. So long story short, somehow we got our cars back, and none of us played early on Tuesday morning by chance, and I'm sure Burl didn't have a shaft one that he sold that week. <laughs> but if you look down the weeks – the weeks afterwards, there wasn't a time that any one of us that saw each other or Burl, for that matter, would go, yeah, we're not going there this week. <laughs> we, it was just, it was immediately. But I was really proud of those girls at that place. They did well that day on a Monday. <laughs> because you, you can only imagine these girls are thinking, well, a Monday, well, that's the most dead day there was. Not that Monday. Half the field of the L.A. Open yeah. rolls in. Thanks to all of us morons. So, uh, <laughs> once again, guys, I'm not proud. But How'd it, you play? It, it did happen. I always played good at Riviera. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was a young man. Man, then that was a. I got two days to rest. Shoot, I could fire away. I could go hard and then go home, and then I could be ready the next day. So it was fun, though. Now, now just based on your timeline, what do you want to get this straight? You got to the gentleman's club at two in the afternoon, right? And you left at midnight. By yes. my calculations, that's 10 hours. Uh, yeah, that's what we calculated, too. Yeah, that's a, yeah, and, and what we figured is uh, 
$8,000 bar bills. So what is that? Uh, about a little bit, well, you know, 10 hours. It was more than 1000 an hour. No, no. It would have been eight, if, 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 eight, 800, 800 an hour. 800 an hour, we figured about that. And that's about what those girls were, about 800 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you know. And you know what's like all gentlemen maybe listening to this. Uh, when we left there, what we have nothing <laughs> except just sheer stupidity. So, like any men that go to a gentleman's club, once you leave there, it, you think you're having fun, but when you have no money in your wallet and nothing to care show for it, and you go, "Well, that was stupid." So it's, so it's about $800 an hour to be able to tell a really cool story. Well, yeah. Little did I know, in 2023, I could talk about something that happened in 1991. Was that the – no, that was the year before you beat Tiger in Riviera, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got him in 92 and 93. That's a yeah. hilarious yeah, story, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah he, well, no wonder you don't look at the Tiger. What, he, what do you beat his ass? <laughs> what do you go and I beat First Tiger two. at Riviera twice. Twice. <laughs> he was 16 number. and 17. Well, you, know, that's, you don't always have to add that to it. If somebody says, you ever played against Tiger the first two times, I beat him. <laughs> I they look at you like, you beat Tiger Woods? Well, you dang right I did. <laughs> 16-year-old kid with his little badge sticking out of his pocket. Yeah. He could still play, though. He damn sure could. Guys, I, I mean, what a show, number one. I don't know how to transition after this. but I'm not sure we can. Uh, but we have had a great time out here at Jimmy Austin. Woody, tell us again about the great things they have going, out, going on out here at Jimmy Austin. And also, tell us about our great friends at Quill Creek Bank. You know, that that's what's cool is I'm so lucky, and I'm prejudiced on both these cases. Uh, my, my nephew, Tyler Woodward, is a general manager here. So I'm slowly but surely, I know all my Aggie friends out there are going to go, what? I'm, I'm kind of getting a little sooner in my blood because of these guys out here. And, uh, boy, they just do such a great job, Sam. And, it, and it's 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 turned into the not just a, a golf course for the university people to play. This is almost it's a little bit of a membership. They sell memberships to this place. And if, if you're looking to join someplace, this is a great golf course. So I'm always proud to talk about Tyler and Jimmy Austin now. It's it's part of my family. So uh, I, really I think it's a it. top top three to four course in the state of Oklahoma. I really I, do. I really do. And, and, and that leads me into Quail Creek Bank, some of my best friends, the, the owner of the bank, uh, Mark Davenport, a great friend of mine. And and it's a bank. We've said it over and over and again. Uh, no ATM fees. You always want to talk to a person. They're going to answer the phone. They, they got real people. Every time I call, I love calling because I get to talk to somebody. Okay? They loans. If you need a loan, any kind of loan, small business, home loan, car loans, and they're going to know your name. That's what I love about that bank. It's a personal bank. They're, they're 50 years in business. Quail Creek Bank is number one, gentlemen. It's number one in Oklahoma City, number one in the state, in my opinion. Go see them, 122nd, North May. T-Dub, I mean, give your thoughts on the course out here. I, I absolutely love spending time out here at Jimmy Austin and what they've grown it from it, back in the 80s. Obviously, we weren't alive yet, but what even what it's been since – the early 2000s to now is one of the greatest, you know, progressions of a golf course that I've seen, especially probably the best here in Oklahoma. 
I think one of the things that does not get talked about enough is the great changes that they made on holes 8 through 12. I mean, I think those those five holes are so much better than they were 10 years ago. It's not even funny. And it's something that we always talk about all the other great restorations or changes. And we talk about Southern Hills, talk about Dorney Kills, all that. But this one out here doesn't get talked about enough. And I think it's an absolute shame, in all honesty, because it's such a more championship venue golf course now. Like I said, those the 10th hole is so, such a better hole now. 11 so much harder now than it used to be. I think 12 is a better hole now because you're not hitting at a cross green. You're hitting more at a straight green. So those changes are, are very, very underrated. And the condition of the course speaks for itself. I mean, you look out there, you see green. Even this time of year, it looks green out there. The greens look good. So it's uh, And it's such a good test of golf too, right? Like you can't you can't BS your way around this course. It's not uh, it's not it's not as penalizing as some other courses like a Karsten or a Golf Club of Oklahoma off the tee box, but it challenges you in every single aspect of your game. That's one of the reasons that I love it. You can't uh, you can't just dink it around and somehow post a score. A lot of times, you're going to have to have every aspect of your game going to uh, to be able to just to play well here. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. Jimmy Austin, one of my favorite places to come in Oklahoma. All right, guys, we'll be back with you on Sunday on the radio show, the 73rd hole radio show live on the Sports Animal. We've been having a great time not only taking calls and being able to interact and take texts during that show. It's also two hours this year, so we can expand on some subjects. Starts at 10 a.m. all the way through noon every single Sunday through the Ryder Cup, and we'll be back next week. We'll you know be recapping the live tournament at Mayakoba, and then we'll also be recapping the Honda Classic as well. Uh, big, big thank you again to head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, Ryan Hibble, coming on the show. Big thank you to Woody and T-Dub. This has been Sam Humphreys here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.